Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. It's just gone 7 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Welcome in uh, to the show. We'll be with you through to 11 o'clock. Uh, Ricardo Paul, uh, that is. We've got Hoopheads uh, joining us at 10, uh, 9 o'clock, actually. Uh, Justin Nelson from Sky Sports and Casey Frank as well, former tall black and basketball commentator and a whole heap more. We're going to cover off football. We're going to cover off rugby league. We're going to cover off, of course, basketball and a few other things besides. But first off... We're going to talk rugby, and particularly the NPC, with another full round coming up this weekend. And joining us to talk that is former All Black Peter Alatini. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, thanks, Ricardo. How are you, brother? Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. We're not not far into it, uh, but already it's shaping up as possibly the most even NPC I can remember in a while, <laughs> mate. This this new format seems to be working quite well. Oh, I think so too, mate. And, and just kind of having a look around across the place. I think there's, um, it's always great that you have these up and coming and, and new names coming through. But what I'm loving is some of these um, these ex All Blacks um, that have either been, you know, not involved in Test series or have come from overseas. Who kind of almost, you know, come into these teams and just um, raise the bar across across the, the nation and putting an NPC back at a competitive level for all teams. I think one of the things that, that shows that, and I know what I've just said about how close it is, and I'm going to talk to you about a team that hasn't won a game yet in Southland, but they're 0-3, but their points differential is only minus 13. Um, so they've lost three games, but they've lost them for by about four points each game. So it's tight, and that's a lot closer than Southland have been for a while. agree, mate. And I think, it, again, you know, you've got the likes, um, some of those players that have had put in a bit of a few years consistently with the group, you add in a few more that, that add experience and, and then all of a sudden you are actually competing each uh, each game. And, then, you know, it's it's one of those, and I think I, I feel it when I was playing at Southland, you win away from from just, you know, the season totally changing as such, but it does get harder if you, if you just keep missing out um, each game as such, which I think I found in 97. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, mate, that game against Otago on the weekend, jeez. 37-32. That, that, that was a game for the neutrals, wasn't it, mate? Plenty of plenty of try scoring action. I agree, mate. And, and the thing is, I know those games, but between the two, you know, it's a local derby, and um, and both teams are always up for it. Especially Southland. Southland are always up for that game, um, wanting to prove something to you know, it, it's the little brother, big brother thing. Um, and they nearly got away with it on the weekend. <laughs> Came very close. In fact, this is how the how the uh, standings are at the moment. Starting with the uh, the odds, uh, the the odds league. I do think Peter, they need better names for these conferences than odds conference and even. I know, mate. What's 
What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. They need to name them maybe after, you know how like in the Heartland you play for the Meads Cup or the Lahore Cup or, uh, you know, they have the Bill Osborne uh, Tonga and then they've got the Ian Kirkpatrick medal and, you know, we've got the Dwayne. They need to find a couple of greats and name yes. name the conferences after a couple of greats, I think. Um, you know, so what do you reckon? Oh, I think so. We've got a Peter Alatini conference <laughs> and a <laughs> no. Ofisa Tanu'u conference or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, you, I agree, mate. You know, you, you need some some of those um, those great names that have, have been in your ABs, and probably not only that, but have been real stalwarts within the provincial game because it will give it a bit more of a meaning, right? Totally. Because um, some of those those names down in the Heartland Cup, not only were they great All Blacks, but they were great servants of NPC rugby, and I think that's that's what's required. Within our um, within our game, but you know our, our guys are up there and using rugby have been a bit busy <laughs> over the last month or so. <laughs> so. I think that's the last thing on their minds at the moment, Cardo. Yeah, you're probably right, mate. You're probably right. Uh, but I'll go through them. So the odds are topped by Otago and Hawks Bay with 14 points each. They have played a game more than everyone else because the, the the storm weeks yep. they've already had theirs. Uh, then Waikato. two points further back, unbeaten. They've had two game uh, two wins and a draw. The only unbeaten team so far. Bay of Plenty are fourth after that win against Auckland on the weekend. Then you go back to Counties, who are five points adrift. Wellington, who are a point back from them and six, and then Southland on four. And then over on the even side, it's led by Auckland, who have had their storm week. They are three wins and a loss on 15 points. Canterbury are just behind them on 11. They've got a game in hand. So do Harbour, who are on 10. Northland on nine are in fourth. Tasman, who have struggled this season, are on six points in fifth yeah. place. Uh, Nanaki just behind them. On five points, and then Manor were two dead last uh, with a big uh, donut and minus 150 point differential. So they're the ones that are, uh, you know, there's always one that, that torpedoes your argument, and right there it's the turbos. <laughs> I agree, and I, I feel for them a bit because they play some good footy, but uh, unfortunately they just haven't got the caliber to carry it through for a whole 80, eh? By the looks of things, when you look at the other scores between the other teams. And some of those games, um, I think, yeah, they're, they're probably the only team that's doing it tough. They're doing it real tough, mate. Let, let, actually, I'll tell you who else is doing it tough. And we, I did mention that the Tasman are doing it tough, but the people of the Tasman region, yeah. with all the rain and everything they've had. You know, that they, sure. I talked to uh, Lyndon Bray the other day. He was on with Smithy today. Uh, they have confirmed that the game's going to go ahead in Blenheim against Canterbury. It is a quarter to six kickoff on Friday. Uh, so uh, so that's good that they, they've been able to stage that match given everything that's gone on down there. Yeah, for sure, mate. It's It's been uh, trying times, I'd say, for the poor area. But it just really, it does surprise me, um, Carter, that, that this Calo, you know, the Tasman the side has probably led, um, you know, the way in the way the game's been played in NPC rugby over the last few years to be so so down in, on the table so far. But... Um, I suppose anything could happen, and it's not right them off just yet, I'd say. I think you're right. I think, you know, there's there's always more to come, mate. There's always more to come. Uh, they take on Canterbury mm. this weekend. And that, cool. that Canterbury cool. team last week, mate, uh, let me see if I can find the team list for you, because the Canterbury team that took on uh, Taranaki last week were was just, it was a super rugby team. Uh, this is This is the starting lineup, right? Daniel Lynette Brown, Shiloh Klein, Ollie Yeager was the front row. Luke Romano, Sam Darry the locks. Billy Harmon, Tom Christie, Cullen Grace were the Lucys. Mitchell Drummond at nine, Fergus Burke at ten. George Bridge 
and Will uh, Golter with the wings, and then Rameka Pohepi and Dallas McLeod in the midfield, and Shea Fihaki at the back. My God. How good is that team? And so, mate, I went overs on them. I went, oh, they're going to smash the NACU. have been rubbish. They just conceded <laughs> 40 to the bop, and then they lose for 16-10. How the hell does that happen? <laughs> I, know, I agree with you 100% because I was just thinking, the NACU haven't been travelling too well up until that game. That was their first um, win, and, yeah. And you have, uh, yeah, and then we got all this this team like you just read out, and to go down. But I, I kind of just watched the highlights of it, um, and you know what a difference a couple of those boys kind of standing up and just uh, showing a bit of grit, like like the Taranaki team of old. I suppose we know that, how they can play at such tough situations. But for Canterbury team, they'll, they'll be pretty. Uh, They'll be pretty um, down after that game, I'd say. Yeah, and uh, but they are favourites going into this game against Tasman. They're a dollar forty-two. Tasman yeah. are two ninety. Um, I, I mean, they've got a test match uh, down in Christchurch on Saturday as well, so um, there'll be uh, uh, lots of distractions around. But uh, you think Canterbury should have too much for Tasman this weekend? Well, mate, look, <laughs> this is the, but this is the beauty thing about the game, mate. Eh, at the moment, when you have these different um, results that happen, that, that you kind of think that Canterbury should do it, especially coming off the game um, last weekend. But then again, Tasman will be kind of screaming to get their season back on form, playing at home. Um, you know, and, and, and also, I suppose, what they're going through. I'd say they'll use a bit of that to try and cheer up the, the areas, you know, the areas in, in terms of what they've gone through. So really tough to pick, but you'd think the Canterbury team would, would, would just get over uh, yeah, I mean, the Crusader derby as well, right? So um, I, I reckon yes. the point start is minus six and a half. I reckon that, that you probably, if you, you can get Tasman for a dollar eighty uh, minus six and a half. I reckon that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Yeah, that's not bad be, at all. Because chances are it'll be wet too. You know that, um, and we've seen how Canterbury. <laughs> we know how Canterbury travel in the wet, mate. After last weekend, um, there's two games on Friday. Actually, I think is because we've got the Test match on uh, Saturday night. So they've got two uh, games on Friday, and then the late game on or the, the late inverted commas game on Friday is eight o'clock. Uh, Waikato taking on Manawatu. I mean, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. Oh, no, I can tell you that the no. point the point start for Waikato is twenty six and a half. <laughs> and so should I suppose when you think about the results that's been happening for Paul Manawatu from the turbos, and that uh, Waikato side looks pretty steady. Things. Um, McKenzie um, back in there, right? Um, and a couple of, um, you know, Jacobson and a few of their, their kind of, um, you know, uh, row coming off the bench. So they, they've got mm. a, quite a good, uh, strong team across the board. Yeah, they have. Um, and, and, you know, even at 26 and a half, it doesn't feel like enough with that Waikato team who are unbeaten at the moment. So Correct. Uh, I'd, I'd be all I over them. Actually, Dave's just texted through. Thanks for your text, Dave. Double eight double three is the Temper Bedpost text line. Uh, he suggested we have the Lomu and Collins conferences. Ooh. Jonah and Jerry, yeah, that's actually, I like it. That's 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 not bad at all. Knowing um, knowing how both were, still, you know, that they, they actually made a huge impact on NPC rugby, um, and and, and both their times. So and I like both, that. That's yeah. not bad at all. And both gone too soon, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, that, that that's brilliant. Well done, Dave. Yeah, Excellent. well done, Dave. I like it. All right, we'll put that for the. Uh, NZR's just down the hallway. I'll run that down uh, after we finish this. Uh, Hawks Bay take on Harbour on Saturday, mate. Uh, Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock. Cracker. Mate, cracking game. A Ranfurly Shield game as well. And you've got to like Harbour's chances, the way they've been travelling so far this season. And Bryn Gatlin's been on fire. 
what, mate, what I loved about them in the last weekend was anything on offer they took, mm. you know, and, and it just kind of put that separation between them. And, and you felt Tasman, even though they came close, they were chasing everything all the time. Um, but but in saying that the players across the board for Harbour are, are great. And, and obviously having, I mean, they've got a real great coaching group as well with Halangahu and, and also um, Jackson being reunited. So it's going to be a great one. And, but Hawks Bay don't look like they want to give up their shield just yet anyway. So uh, it's going to be a cracker, especially 205 too. Hopefully the weather will be great down there. Yeah, fingers crossed it'll be uh, a beauty. Uh, Hawks Bay are favourites $1.50. Uh, Harbour paying two seventy, yep. which is good value. Unders, uh, 12 and under for Hawks Bay, 270, 13 mm. plus 280. And then Harbour, unders, 380, uh, 13 plus 650. I'd probably leave that one alone. Uh, points different, uh, points start those, five and a half. Uh, so uh, picking a tight game, you get a dollar eighty-seven either way, uh, minus or plus eight, uh, five and a half. Some good ones there, brother. Yeah, we, we, which way are you leaning? Which way are you leaning on this game? Mate, I'm, I'm going to go... I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'll go Harbour. Gonna go, go Harbour. He's going Harbour for the win. I'll go Harbour. You heard it first. I'll go yeah. Harbour for the win. Pete Alatini's picking Harbour. All right. The shield's coming back up the, north. The shield's well, upper north, mate. Upper, upper, <laughs> upper, upper north. Uh, Auckland, upper north. Auckland play Otago uh, later on in the afternoon. Uh, Auckland are a dollar forty-two favourites. I think Otago though. A good value at two ninety, based on what we've seen from them. They've knocked over Hawks Bay. They've knocked over Southland, of course, and they went close against know. County. So uh, you know, I, I think two ninety's good value for Otago, and the point starts seven and a half. Jeez, I'll go Otago. I'll throw in the old the big golden circle out there for the boys. Golden O. Got to do Otago. it. Are you going to are you going to be at Eden Park ripping the old jersey? Uh no. <laughs> I'm not much of a. I don't really go to many games, <laughs> Cardo. I just uh, I rather sit on the old couch here and, and and watch it on Max and, and, and go from there. I suppose it but, must, um, must be, be tough, great. Peter, because you're be always having a up. you know always having a bat off the fans and sign autographs. You don't get to watch the game, right? Is that the, is that the <laughs> why? Oh, I wish, mate. It's not that. It's not that glam, brother. I just. <laughs> It's just, uh, I'd rather just watch on the old comfy or the old couch. Yeah, it's nice, mate. The beer's cheaper at home too, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, brother. That's <laughs> the other reason. <laughs> it's easy to get to walk from there to the fridge compared to, to going to line up. Yeah, you're not wrong there, mate. You're not wrong there. Uh, we've got three games on Sunday. Bay of Plenty take on Counties. They're thirty-three favourites. Counties three thirty, um, and uh, you know that one looks like they've probably got that about right because I think Bay have been uh, have been going pretty well under Mike Delaney this season. Yeah, I think so too, mate. Even just watching the, the the game that they just played over the weekend, they they actually look really good. And obviously, Caleb uh, Trask mm. having a um, fantastic uh, game. But I, I think in that first half, by the looks of things, Auckland might have blown a few away. Yeah. Um, to try and really put on there, but I still think and and that team again as well, coaching Delaney, um, Waddy. You know, they've got some great um, coaches across the board there, and the players actually. There's a few there that have super experience, so yeah, you'd, you'd think that they'll um, they'll probably uh, get up for this one. Yeah, I think so. They're paying uh, two two sixty twelve and under, or two thirty five thirteen plus, which I reckon they might just about nudge that. The point start eight and a half. Uh, then uh, Wellington, mate, Wellington up against the Naki, and I know the Naki have lost Stephen Petafeta back to the All Blacks, but two seventy on the Naki is good value considering Wellington just lost to Northland. Jeez. I know, right? That's that's actually a good bet to be honest. Well, Mackie, 
And they could. Hopefully, that the, the spark that Peter gave them will um, will carry them through. I think so. I mean, they well, played in Wellington. It's in Wellington. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they don't yeah. go too well at the Jerry Collins Stadium, eh? They've uh, they've had a bit of an average. No, they don't. They've had a bit of an they average don't. time there. <laughs> That's right. So it might be a good bet. It might be a good bet. You can get unders on Taranaki at three dollars eighty as well, which I reckon is probably about where you want to be. Uh, the point start in that one is six and a half. And then finally, mate, the two teams that I think are the uh, you know if you're going to give out uh, in this day and age, it's all about the most improved awards, so everybody gets a, gets a badge. Uh, but <laughs> Northland and Southland. Uh, Northland obviously beat Wellington. Uh, they went. They pushed Waikato really close, only lost that by six points. And Southland, who I've already mentioned, who have pushed everybody close that they've played, including Auckland. This is always quite an interesting game, this game between these two. Um, in, in previous years, it's other... I don't, I don't think... It's, is it ever quite a tight one? Usually mm. one team dominates. Yeah. Hey, one team just... You know, one team turns up and, and it's actually not quite there on the day and the other team just actually... Um, gets up for it and, and actually kills it. Is this a Northland, Tanipa Stadium? Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's up there with Seamanoff Stadium, isn't it? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Up in Whangarei, anyway. Uh, the, the Northland are $1.47, Southland two seventy, uh, and five and a half Ooh. points is the, is, the, is the start. But I think you can see where the TAB are. They they think the Northland are going to win this probably by... Win the this one, yeah. Yeah, because it's a 260 for unders or 280 for overs with Northland, so they can't quite split Ooh. it. Ooh. Be a good one though. That'll be a good tough one. But you might have to just go Northland. Might get up for that one. Yeah, I think you're right. At home, at home I think, mm. and they're, they're travelling pretty well, mate. They'll be on a high after that game yeah. against uh, against the uh, uh, the Wellingtonians. Uh, I've just had another text through That's saying right. um, I'm nervous about the shield, but Brody Retallick is back. Oh, I did hear that. That's right. Mm. I did hear that. That he's that might be a game changer, my friend. Yeah. I think it could be. It might be a game changer with him, uh, with him running, uh, coming back into it, and um, wanting to to have a big one to get back into that squad. I suppose. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon that's uh, that's going to make a massive difference, uh, Peter. So there we go. That is uh, all the games for the weekend in the MPC. So we should probably talk. Apparently, there's an All Blacks test this weekend in Christchurch uh, uh, against the Pumas. <laughs> we should should probably mention that. Well, what do you what do you reckon, mate? I mean the. That Puma side gave Aussie a, a proper hiding uh, in the second game of that t- of, of that series, didn't they? Oh, absolutely, mate. Like that, you know, that side. Then um, even in that first test, I thought uh, they could have gone either way um, with a couple, just a couple of, I think, a couple of unforced errors and a couple of kind of momentum shifts, which just kind of turned to Aussie at the end. But that game was much closer than what, than what that score gave them, and I, I felt they were in the game. Uh, for most of that first test, but second test, mate, they just seem to, to really fire up, and, and especially, I suppose, playing at home, um, cleaning that up. So they'll, they'll be coming, you know, and, and they'll be feel fully wary, although the AB's got up. They'll be still feeling that there, there might be still some tanks in the armour for them to try and really attack. So it'll be, it'll be quite an uh, interesting test. Yeah, it's uh, mate, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to it, actually. I'm looking forward to see what the Pumas bring. I, I reckon... They're going to um, go close to getting their first win in New Zealand. Oh, don't say that, mate. We've just come off a big deep depression <laughs> over the last few, uh, over the last past month, mate, and different indecisions and everyone talking about coaching and what have you. But, um, I mean, you can't, you know, look, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, the boys got up and, and played well in that last test in South Africa. So we'll give them that and it saved Fozzie's role and, 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 and the rest of their coaching group. So you're hoping now that they just can get on with the job. Um, the boys 
well, hopefully now they all, they all stand as one and, and kind of come through with a performance that we know that they can be consistent in eh, and continue on to do so um, against against this great Puma side on, on Saturday. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Ella. Hey, listen, mate, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. Really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure, Cardo. Always a pleasure. Go well, mate. Enjoy your footy this weekend, eh? Same to you, buddy. Thanks, we'll do, mate. mate. Thank you. Uh, Peter Alatini there with us talking NPC and uh, getting some insight on the ABs there from him as well. They take on the Pumas this weekend, of course, here in New Zealand. And we also have uh, the Wallabies taking on South Africa and Adelaide of all places, which seems a bit weird. But I know it's already confused a few of our South African friends because it's like from here, you know, Melbourne or Sydney, it's two hours difference. But Adelaide's two and a half because they're slightly over the the next time zone. Yeah, yeah, I think it's confused a few people in South Africa. But uh, New Zealand are big favourites. Dollar eight uh, versus Argentina at sevens. The draw at thirty ones. Australia two sixty. The box a dollar fifty two. Uh, so that, that's the market. For those two games, keep your texts coming through. Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. What are you most looking forward to this weekend? And can Harbour take the shield off Hawks Bay? Let us know what you think. Double eight, double three is the temper bed post text machine here on Extra Time on your Wednesday evening. Twenty-five past seven here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till eleven o'clock tonight. And uh, yeah, just being sent actually an article. Uh, from a few years back now, um, about Brody Retallick's only other shield defence. I, I think that I've got that right, that he's only ever played one other shield game uh, for Hawke's Bay. And you know what happened in that one? They lost it to the Naki, um, 29-11. Uh, Naki had some kid called Bowden Barrett playing 10, who uh, apparently went all right and kicked seven from seven. So I don't know, is that a portent? Is that a portent that maybe Harbour in with a chance... Um, I know that uh, Aidan McLaughlin, who we've had on the show a few times uh, and has definitely been on with Smithy as well, um, has spoken to Brody ahead of this. I think there's going to be a story in the in the Hawks Bay paper uh, this week, and um, he's uh, yeah. I, I, well, Aidan is pretty confident that they'll hold on. He reckons Bay by 12. Says Harbour might take it off us, but I don't think they will. Uh, Bay by 12 is what he's saying. And, uh, yeah, is that a poor team? Brodie Retallick, his only other shield defence was a loss to the Naki back in 2011. So it's, uh, it's a long time between drinks for him, isn't it? Now, we've uh, had another text come through on double eight double three. Rick Dog, are you Auckland or Harbour? I'm an Auckland boy, mate. Born and bred in Howick, Pakaranga around that way. So always uh, Auckland, mate. Uh, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, don't have a. Uh, what do you call it? Don't have a horse in this race. Um, and he said, "What about if the All Blacks lose?" And that's next week's content sorted. That's from Chris. Thanks for your text, Chris. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think you know you you can't discount the way the Pumas put the Wallabies to the sword two weeks ago. Um, and you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer either for the All Blacks getting that win over. Um, a weakened South African team. It wasn't their best team that they put out for that second test, was it? So I think there's every chance that the, uh, you know, the 22 and a half point start the TAB have given the uh, All Blacks, uh, Argentina, I think is pretty generous. I think it'll be tighter than that. But I think it's a, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I certainly wouldn't write the Pumas off at this stage. In fact, I'll give you the full market. So your 22 and a half points is the point start um, and it's paying $1.87 either way. Uh, the head-to-head, dollar eight for the All Blacks, seven bucks for Argentina, thirty-one the draw. Winning team in margin, New Zealand, one to twelve, three twenty. 
13 plus $1.45. Argentina, 1 to 12, 9s, 13 plus 31s, and the draw is 31s. So that is uh, what the TAB reckon. What do you reckon? Let us know. Double eight double three. That is the text line, Double eight double three. And uh, be keen to hear from you uh, and what your thoughts are on the All Blacks this weekend. Do you think the, the Pumas, after their massive win against the Wallabies, pose a threat on New Zealand soil? I did see... Um, Pablo Matera saying, uh, did, did a piece with TVNZ, he had, did an interview with him and said if, uh, it doesn't, doesn't feel like they're on tour, it feels like a homecoming for him. So, interesting, interesting. He's feeling pretty comfortable there and I uh, I think we might be in for a bit of a scare. I'm not, not saying that we're definitely going to lose, but I think Argentina will definitely give us a hurry up. I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, this weekend. Actually, make sure you tune in to Smithy tomorrow morning around 10 o'clock because David Kidwell, the former Kiwis coach, who is now the number two to Michael Checker uh, at the Pumas, is going to be on with Smithy talking about that as well. So looking forward to that. Double eight, double three. that is a temper bedpost text machine. How do you reckon the AB is going to go against the Pumas? Are you worried at all? And can Harbour lift the shield against Hawke's Bay, a Hawke's Bay that's going to have Brody Retallick back in the mix? Double eight, double three is a temper bedpost text machine. Let us know your thoughts. Coming up shortly, editor, writer for This Warrior's Life, Will Evans, is going to join us to talk NRL. 26 away from 8 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through until 11 o'clock this evening. Joining us now from This Warrior's Life uh, is Will Evans. G'day, mate. How are you? Uh, good, Ricardo. Thanks for having me on. How are uh, you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. I, you won't be looking forward to the Panthers game this weekend, I'm taking. Uh, no, it could be a bit of a bloodbath, mate. Um, I see we're a dollar oh one, or Panthers are a dollar oh one in Australia. Uh, Twenty nine and a half points start. Uh, pretty much unprecedented for an NRL game. So yeah, that gives you a bit of an indication of where the Warriors are at and uh, what their chances are this weekend. I couldn't. I can't get over the uh, the the points. Uh, total points is fifty and a half, right? Um, and it's it's paying a dollar eighty five overs. I mean, I, I think there's easily going to be over fifty points in this game. Uh, yeah, the Panthers might get that on their own. I, I know Nathan Cleary's still out, but Jerome Luai is back and James Fisher-Harris is back. Uh, you saw what the Panthers did last week. Uh, they're just relentless. Um, the minor premiership sealed, but I don't see them taking the foot off the throat. And obviously we've seen the Warriors give up plenty of points to good teams in recent weeks. Yeah, I did hear uh, some, one of the Panthers' backroom staff uh, talking about how, it might have even been Andrew Webster, talking about the... Um, uh, Nathan Cleary being suspended. He said, if anything, it's actually made us tougher. He said, because the guys that, that have been in the starting 13s have been running against him um, in training. So he's been playing with the non-playing team in training. And he said, the way that he works them and makes them work on D and makes them think, he said, they've actually got sharper because of that. It's almost uh, played into their favour a little bit. Yeah, it was my first thought, given they were always going to finish first, that you know, Cleary having that break, Firstly, to freshen himself up and Luai as well. Um, but, you know, to give some of those other guys um, the confidence after taking the lead. Obviously, Dylan Edwards has gone to another level. We saw Api Coruscant last week have a blinder and, and Liam Martin was the match winner. So, uh, yeah, it only gets better for the Panthers and um, they've managed to turn what was a, you know, bit of a 
a bit of a flashpoint incident into a positive. Yeah, indeed they have, indeed they have. But uh, listen, we should we should probably uh, leave the Warriors and the Panthers because I think that's a that's a lay down, and I don't want to put you through any more pain than is necessary, mate. But uh, <laughs> well, we uh, I, I think the uh, the game that I'm most interested in this weekend, and it's not just because I'm an Eels fan, but I think it feels like there's a lot on the line for Kevin Walters and the Broncos. Uh, I mean, last weekend we saw a lot of teams concede a lot of points, but every one of those teams was on the beach, right? Except the Broncos. The fact that they conceded 60 when they're still in a shout for the playoffs, um, I think has got to be concerning for Kevin Walters. Yeah, you're exactly right. All the other teams that conceded a a lot of points had nothing to play for. The Broncos still very much uh, in the fight to to keep their top eight position. They're certainly not over the line yet with the Raiders uh, looming. They've slipped to eight, conceding 60, obviously not ideal. Um, You know, they just seem to be running out of steam a bit, lost three of their last four. Patrick Carrigan's suspension has been pretty crucial, I think. Uh, This week they're going to lose Sal and Cobbo. He's asked for a rest. Uh, Concerning, they really need need guys like Adam Reynolds and Payne Haas to step up. Um, Obviously, Eel's not the most consistent team going around, but certainly a lot of firepower. And, uh, yeah, if they don't tighten up their defence, the Eels could rack up a few points on them. Yeah, well, the thing is for the Eels, I think they finish with they finish with a storm next week. I think uh, is the way. Uh, so I mean, I think after their win against the Dogs, they're probably not in too much danger. But if they want to really uh, cement themselves, they need to win this weekend. Um, and if you're the Broncos, you're looking over the shoulder over your shoulder because the Raiders got Manly this weekend, who since Rainbow Gate can't win, and then they finish I think with the Tigers. So you know that the Raiders are probably going to win out. That's four points. Um, and, you know, the Broncos, uh, I think they, they need as many points as they can get to try and stave the Raiders off. It's a fascinating table with two rounds to go, fifth to eight. None of them are safe, even the Eels. If the Eels lose this weekend, the Broncos join them on 30 points, and if the Roosters or Rabbitohs can win, they'll also edge up to 30 points. Uh, as you said, the Raiders likely to win their last two games. Their for and against isn't great. Um, the Broncos are in a little bit of trouble there, for and against-wise, um, if, if that does come into it. Uh, but, yeah, as you said, if, if, if the Eels lose this weekend, then they're right in, in that uh, firing line for the Raiders if, if they can't get over the Storm, which obviously is a huge ask in the first round, particularly when the Storm will be playing for position two. Well, that's the thing, you know. I mean, the Storm have been inconsistent this season, right? We've seen We've seen that from the Storm. They've probably been the most in, inconsistent I can remember them um, being, but they've still got Craig Bellamy at the helm, and he'll be pushing them all the way. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, where that goes. I mean, in terms of the head-to-heads between um, Brisbane and the Eels, um, I mean, it does look pretty even on paper, but it's just about attitude, right? I mean, where do you think uh, this game's going to be won and lost? Uh, I think it really comes down to that Reynolds um, Reynolds. Moses matchup. If Reynolds can get the better of that, that's obviously a huge boost. Um, and Payne Haas leading a pack. You, you know, they haven't been great in that department in recent weeks. The Broncos, if, if Haas really fires up um, and takes it to the Eels engine room, then, then we've got a match on our hands. Otherwise, you know, see the Eels running away with that one. Um, but yeah, it's it's huge for, for both sides. Yeah, that, that Eels pack probably does look, uh, you know, if you go Campbell, Gillard, Marnie, Paulo in the front row, then Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali, and Ryan Madison. That is a pretty damn good looking pack. 
yeah, Broncos are looking just a bit light without Patrick Carrigan, who's obviously been having a massive season. So, yeah, that's on paper definitely a big advantage. It was only uh, five weeks ago that the Broncos beat Parramatta 36-14 down in Sydney. So, you know, maybe they can take a bit of uh, confidence out of that one. But at the moment, I'd say definitely the edge to the blue and golds. Yeah, all right, mate. Uh, let's have a look at the Storm and Roosters because... Uh, these two teams have both been on on, on good winning winning runs. I mean, this, the the Roosters at the moment are playing like a top four team. Um, they're not they're not there, and I don't know that they're going to make the top four. But uh, they they've been playing some great footy, and they're looking like the Roosters we expected to see at the beginning of the season. Yeah, you did right. Uh, Roosters have been I think they're six in a row for them now. Seventy two six against the Tigers last week. They've also beaten some some better teams in recent weeks um, with high quality efforts and. Yeah, this, but this is a huge test for them. This would be the biggest win for them this season if they can get it. Um, if they lose it, they're obviously in, in that mix again to um, to be overtaken by the Raiders. And they've got South next week, which is certainly no gimme. So, yeah, absolutely massive for both teams. Uh, this one, Storm still chasing second, potentially. Um, and they've won four in a row. Um, you know, obviously a great rivalry. Storm on a bit of a run against the Roosters. Won the last five between the teams. Um, I think it was yeah, round 14, 26-18 at the SCG they won. Uh, the Storm, they've started to turn a corner. Uh, obviously such a bad year with them injury-wise, particularly in the back five um, and a few suspensions and, and other um, absences here and there. Just starting to find their groove again. Munster's on fire. Jerome Hughes was great last week. And, and Harry Grant, Brandon Smith. They've still got so many stars, even with all the injuries. Um, and, yeah, that Nofaluma um, loan buy has been pretty handy as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this one. This should be, you know, some match of the season contender, given how well both teams are playing. Yeah, and I also think, you know, Matt Lodge, uh, the try-scoring sensation that is, um, has just added... That much to the to the um, the go forward for the Roosters. I mean, it's particularly when you can start him and uh, Warrior Hargreaves, and then you know you've got coming off the bench, uh, Tokiahau's back, Lindsay Collins is back. I mean, that's some some serious go forward, some serious firepower. It doesn't get much better than that across the NRL, does it? I mean, Lodge is he's not the most popular dude around with Warriors fans, but he's a quality player, uh, big, aggressive, you know. Gets those quick play of the balls. He's got a bit of ball playing about him. Um, great pickup for the Roosters from a football perspective. Um, obviously, he sort of came on board. They had a few injuries in that department, and that sort of helped there. But now that they're at full strength, as you said, Takaho's back and Lindsay Collins. It's an incredible uh, prop rotation they've got to work with. Yeah, I just hope Lindsay Collins can get through the match without getting another head knock because that last one that he took against yeah. the Seagulls looked pretty nasty. Yeah, that's a little bit scary for for him from a personal point of view and for the Roosters uh, Premiership hopes. Um, yeah, quality quality player and hopefully he gets uh, a few games under his belt. Uh, one thing we've seen Bellamy do, uh, and because he, he'll you know mentioned great coach, um, it's not news to anybody, but something that he's done uh, the last couple of games to take advantage of weakness in the opposition is actually to run Big Nelson um, on the edges, like play him as a second rower um, effectively. Uh, do you see him trying to repeat that against the Roosters, or does the do the Roosters look too, you know, too good on the edges to to bother trying that and just keep them up in the middle and match firepower with firepower? Uh, I think yeah, Sam Walker might be in the firing line this week. Yeah, obviously not the the strongest defender, a fairly slight frame. Um, Luke Carey's a, a brave defender, not the biggest guy either. So. Whichever edge uh, Nelson pops up on, I'm sure those guys will get plenty of traffic. But yeah, again, the, the Brewsters have uh, 
they've, they've got some good defenders that'll sort of help them out in that sort of bodyguard role, and I don't think it'll be as effective, but certainly worth uh, trying for Bellamy again. I tell you, a team that nobody's talking about, really. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like we've talked, we've talked the Roosters and we've talked South and we've talked Penrith, etc. but nobody's talking about the Sharks. And they're just quietly sitting there in third place. Craig Fitzgibbon's done a great job his first year as head coach. Uh, they've got, you know, um, guys like Wade and Finucane and, uh, you know, obviously Nico Hines is doing great things there as well. I mean, they've got to be a premiership threat, don't they? Yeah, they're uh, having a great season, real chance of finishing top two. Um, they've got an easier draw than the Cowboys, who they're tied with on 34 points. Um, Bulldogs this weekend, you, you can't fault what they've come up with this year. They had that bit of flat, bit of a flat patch in the middle of the season, but um, I think what have they won uh, something like their yeah, nine of their last ten now, really flying, heading into the finals. Nico Hines, I think he's got to be favourite for Dally M. Um, he's sort of dragged Matt Morland along with him. Morland's having a bit of a, a career renaissance um, playing alongside him. And, yeah, they're just all jo- doing their job. Um, I, the one thing I sort of do have a bit of a concern about is, um, you know, a lot of guys that probably haven't played a lot of uh, finals football, you know, there's, there's very few remnants of that 2016 premiership side there now. Um I don't, don't think there'd be too many grand guys with grand final experience outside of the likes of Finucane and uh, Andrew Fafito sort of on his way out. Wade Graham, um, yeah. But, yeah, Wade Graham, of course, he's, he's, um, he was a key part of 2016. But, yeah, I just think they might uh, struggle when it comes to those big games um, at, at the end of the season. You know, I back them to get to a prelim. Uh, whether they can go further than that, they'll have to find something extra. But they have surprised us at every turn this year. Yeah, gone really well. And then you mentioned the Cowboys. They take on the Rabbits. It's the late game on Saturday night at 9.30. Um, Cowboys got tipped up last weekend. How do you think they'll go against uh, a Rabbit side that also got tipped up against the Panthers? I mean, both have been travelling pretty well. Yeah, Cowboys, I mean, again, the surprise packet of the year to be sitting second still. Um, after, after you know, I thought they'd be a bottom four team. Uh, Todd Payton's turned them around. He's you know, created a bunch of origin players out of guys that your average fan probably didn't know a hell of a lot about. Chad Townsend's been outstanding. You know, Tom Dearden is out this week. It's a big blow. Drinkwater's come good. It's it's just amazing um, how how they've gone this year. Um, they put the cleaners through the Warriors last Friday, uh, but this is a big test for them. South have been travelling really well. Probably bottled it a little bit against Penrith South. Um, and yeah, huge, huge game for them. They're in sevens again. Another, I feel like I'm saying this over and over, but if they lose this weekend, they're in, in the Raiders sites and they've got the Roosters next week. So absolutely massive for them. Um, Cowboys, obviously not as crucial. Their, their final spot is sealed, but they want to hang on to second spot. So um, yeah, big game for both teams. Down in Sydney, um, absolute blockbuster. Blockbuster, mate. Yeah, looking forward to this one, that one, mate. And then uh, uh, finally on Sunday, we've got a couple of games which are probably a bit hard to call because you've got two teams who don't really have, or you've got four teams who don't have anything to play for. Um, the Tigers take on the Dragons, who have been pretty disappointing most of the season. And then the Titans take on the Knights. Um, now, I know the Dragons beat the Titans last weekend, but the Titans were right in that till uh, till the end. The Knights all of a sudden turned up against the Raiders for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, when you've got two teams who are both on the beach, uh, what, what do you reckon the key is? Where do you look if you're trying to pick a winner? Oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's, um, you know, 
uh, four teams have, have nothing to play for, as you said. Uh, Dragons pr- probably overall have had the best uh, season of the four um, and have been going okay. They had that big one over the Titans last week and they you know, kind of took the fight to the Sharks and uh, the Raiders in the previous two weeks. So they're not going that bad. Tigers coming off a 72-6 loss. They've um, obviously lost James Tummer this week and uh, a handful of other key players. So yeah, they're in all sorts and in last place. But I guess the um, the X factor is Tigers and Titans both trying to stave off the spoon. They're locked on 10 points. Um, if one of them can jag a win this weekend, that obviously gives them a massive chance of offloading it. Um, but yeah, I don't see so many good things happen for the Tigers this weekend with all those guys out. They've just looked rudderless uh, since Jackson Hastings um, departed with injury. Um, the Titans and Knights, a real interesting one. Titans have actually looked all right this, these last few weeks in the Knights. So they probably could have won that one against uh, Canberra with some better goal kicking in that first half. Five tries to one before being run down. So. Yeah, not the obviously not quite the uh, blockbuster appeal that the rest of the round has, but um, certainly a bit of interest around those two Sunday games. Yeah, indeed, mate, indeed. All right, good stuff. Uh, now, well, the Warriors next season, of course, we do have some some players coming in there, Corey. Um, you know, uh, amongst them, I mean, we've heard Stacey talk about it. Um, we've we've heard others talk about it this season about a lack of attitude, a lack of will to to get out there and work. Uh, how, how do you change that? How do you turn that around? And will these players come and change that, given we're going to have a lot of the same cattle? Yeah, it's, you know, it's very much up in the air, isn't it? Um, I, I really like what I've heard from Andrew Webster, and he's come from a great system. Um, he's got a great resume. I think um, he's about as good as we could have hoped to have, have uh, got as a replacement coach. I really think that the um, the move back to Auckland is, is going to be the sea change that they need to at least improve, maybe not make the eight just yet. Um, and, yeah, roster-wise, I think we're probably relying on too many guys to sort of have career-best seasons. I, I do like the players that they've signed. You know, Mitch Barnett could be a good buy. Tomato Martin, um, Chance if he stays injury-free. Uh, but we're probably relying on them to sort of be at the top end of, of their game. Um, you mentioned Nuokore. I'm a really big fan of that signing, but you know, whether all that's enough um, to turn them into a final side straight away, I'm not sure. But, should should know, strengthen the, the edges at least, eh, Barnett and Nuyakura should strengthen the edges a little bit? Yeah, it's um, it's just it's just not so obvious where any of them are going to play. I mean, you know, Barnett could end up getting moved up to prop. We've got, you know, we don't know what our spine's going to look like or at least our sort of Five-eight and fullback spots look like we've got Metcalf uh, coming in too, and Boltman's obviously not hasn't come here to play reserve grade. It's five away from eight here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through till eleven o'clock. In the next hour, we're going to be talking Heartland Rugby with Kevin here. Also, Yitka Klimkova, the coach of the Football Ferns, joins us as well. Uh, they have named a team for two matches against Mexico and the Philippines in the United States at the beginning of next month. After 9 o'clock it is Hoopheads, Justin Nelson and Casey Franken with us and then from 10 o'clock we're going to be talking football with a uh, big West Ham fan out of the UK. He's also a a blogger and journalist as well and hopefully we can uh, have a chat with somebody out of the Republic of South Africa about the Springboks team. The team has already been named for that test against the Wallabies in the Rugby Championship this weekend. All of that and more to come right here on SENZ. It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock this evening. And joining us now to talk Heartland Rugby 
is the man that runs rugbyheartland.co.nz. Kevin here. How are you, sir? Oh, I love the intro. Do that every week and I'm a happy camper. All right, done. Ben, take notes. <laughs> um, there we go. We, uh, we'll take, that's, it. that's your intro every, every week, Kev. Um, we had, of course, some interesting, interesting scores in that, in that first round. I think probably uh, well, there's a couple that bear, bear looking at. Uh, Buller getting up over mid-Canterbury, probably the first of those. I did say keep an eye on the Buller boys, even though I was going to get shot. Um, <laughs> they've got a good record against mid-Canterbury. You know, um, they've done all right. I think they've won four, three or four of the last five games against them. Um, but no, it was their first win in 1,043 days. Um, they were up for it. They had, um, you know, they were probably playing more for the community in Westport with all the troubles they've been going. They they needed to get a smile on their faces. And, uh, yeah, they came through and, and, and they did the business. It was a great victory. Yeah, massive victory for them. Uh, also, I mean, a team that when we talked and did the preview, we didn't expect much out of King Country, but they, they got up over a Poverty Bay side that, you know, when we mm. talked, we thought, you know, these guys are going to be in the, in the running for probably the Lahore Cup. Well, I still think they will. Um, I mean, it was uh, something I didn't mention last week. Was um, it was the fifth anniversary of uh, Pine Trees passing? Uh, it was the centenary of King Country, so they had all the emotions packed into a nice little deck of cards there for them to to do it. And then just to add it, um, the Poverty Bay Boys. Well, they had a terror trip. Um, they arrived eight hours late for dinner on Friday night oh, uh, with cancellations, uh, bus crashes, uh, driver changes. And, and I think they didn't arrive in Tikawiti until like 11 p.m. on Friday night. So um, I was sitting there thinking, uh, and when I spoke to someone else on Saturday morning, I went, I had, I did say Poverty Bay, but after their little trials and tribulations this week uh, to get there, I'd have to probably lean towards King Country a little bit. But um, in a little bit, it was. Um, they got up and won by eight points. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting one, but it will be interesting to see how they back up um, this week. Yeah, it will be. It'll be interesting to see if King Country can go again um, because uh, it's a great start for them and they, they have shortened. I see their prices already shortened. Now, uh, one uh, that you did tip out, mate, and, you know, I'm not giving you any stick for this. It's just I thought it needed bringing up um, because you were confident that West Coast were going to get up over Whanganui. You thought that West Coast were a real chance to win the Meads Cup this year. It didn't happen. Uh, the score, though, from what I understand, looks uglier than probably what the game was, uh, 43-19 in the end. Well, let's just say it was 24-0 to the at one point. Then the uh, Mitre Red and White fought back. It was 24-19. They were hard on attack for about five minutes and they just couldn't break that uh, Wanganui line. And then against the run of play, Wanganui got a try to push it out to 29-19. And then pretty much after that, it was good night nurse. And uh, West Coast ended up going down by 24 points, which is uh, (laughs) the head start they gave Wanganui. So um, all the games in the weekend had that aspect of, even though they'd had pre-season matches, there was all this aspect of a lot of teams didn't get started until the second half. So, um, no, I'm still got my hat on red and white uh, to be at the big dance at the end of the year. And I did speak to the um, the boss at Wanganui saying, enjoy the uh, the preview of the Meads Cup final. Yeah, all right, mate. And then uh, we had that late game on Sunday, uh, five <laughs> past seven at the showgrounds in Palmy mm. um, after that curtain raiser between Manawatu and Hawke's Bay. 
Um, yep. North Otago got up, of course. Uh, when are they resuming their innings? Because uh, 35 for 5, I'm pres- uh, I assume they, they, they haven't declared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I'll, I'll take that one on the chin big time. Um, I got that 120% so wrong. Um, Wire up a bush. They just, the, 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 unfortunately, their structure just went out the window. They, they just couldn't get the, they, when they got the ball, they just couldn't get moving correctly. Uh, there was apparently a major swirling win, which we did not see on the, on the TV, uh, that was affecting a lot of their kicking game. And uh, but North Otago, um, I thought that they were sort of prime and ready to be taken down uh, with a lot of deputants. But um, no, they they got up and they and you know uh, and, and I'm sure Ralphie was happy because I didn't realise it. It was Ralph Darling's birthday on Saturday as well, so big shout out to Ralphie. So they got up for the assistant coach and uh, did the business on Sunday. So I think not Saturday. Yeah, um, yeah, Sunday they did. Thirty-five-five was a great start for. North Otago. Let's have a look at this weekend then, mate, because I tell you what, uh, the draw hasn't been kind to West Coast, has it? First, they start with the Butcher Boys uh, down on uh, in Greymouth. Uh, this week, they're in Thames to face uh, the Valley, who were, of course, Meads Cup finalists last season. Yeah, and um, I mean, straight away, I can say, you know, they're down a scrum half. Poor old Ben Bonner took a, a nasty uh, on his ass tackle and, um, and dislocated his hip. But... Uh, um, Apparently he's all he's all good, and which is great, and uh, wish him speedy recovery. Uh, but yes, it's um, they're playing for a new trophy called the Game. It's a cup um, that has been uh, donated for this fixture, so it's the inaugural the Game uh, fixture, and um, it's also the centenary uh, celebration weekend for Thames Valley. Uh, so if you can, if you're a past Thames Valley guy, get down to Boyd Park and celebrate the Swamp Foxes. Um, and I'm just going to stick with my guns here. Um, I actually work for both unions, and I'm going to say West Coast is going to spoil the party. West Coast um, to spoil the party. Eh? It, uh, yeah, well, we've um, just literally announced their, squad, uh, their team tonight um, on the West Coast page, and uh, they've, they've made a couple of changes. And, um, I mean, uh, Amitav Tukani, he, he's back there at uh, number eight. Uh, Elliot Smith, who picked up a try, um, I gave him a shout-out last week. He picked up a try against Wanganui. He's continuing there as captain. Pretty much a, a settled back line, which is always good. They've just made a couple of slight changes in that forward pack. And uh, I, and um, really, yeah, it's... Uh, and Tyler Kearns, who also appeared for um, Northland last year, uh, he's back in the reserves for West Coast. So uh, it's good to see some of these NPC guys coming back to their roots, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's still got plenty. Yeah, he's still got plenty to offer as well. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the, the coasters will get up a, a tight game because you know there will be a lot of uh, passion in that match, and um, I think though, the, the coasters will want to bounce back from the defeat to Wanganui. Yeah, definitely. I think that both teams will uh, want want to be. Neither team is going to want to be zero and two, so it should be a cracker that one. Uh, one mm. o'clock yeah. in Thames, uh, North and Otago on oh, sorry. Sky as well. Yeah, and on Sky. And it's so, on, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a big day of rugby on on Saturday. You can watch that right through the ABs and then the box and the uh, and the Aussies too. Um, so True. yeah, yeah. Get get all your chores done Friday or early Saturday morning, and then don't don't move from the couch. I think that's what we're trying to get at here. Uh, North Otago, yep. who got up thirty five five over. Uh, Wider up a bush. Uh, they go again. This time they are at home in Wamaru up against Buller, uh, who, of course, we talked about, who, who had the big win over Mid Canterbury. So, another one that it should be a bit of an arm wrestle this one. It's going to be a tight game. 
it will be a tight game. Um, I mean, you, you, I suppose we have to say that um, Buller will be looking at the um, hope of, you know, continuing where they left off last week. Um, in recent years, they've actually done all right, but in recent years, shall I say, I'm just quickly going down, um, they've dropped the last couple of games. They've only won two of the last five going back to 2014. Um, the last time they met was uh, last year, and then they hadn't met before that since um, 2018. And uh, the last win Buller had was um, in 2017, but they haven't won at uh, North Otago since 1995, when they won 30 points to uh, 29. So um, it's been a long time for, between drinks um, at Omaru for Buller. Um, I've got a horrible suspicion that North Otago will be too strong and that record will probably push out another year. This is when we were back in Division 3 NPC days with wow. the last victory in Omaru. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to do the maths one. Is that 29 years ago, the last one they had in North Otago? Oh, I don't know. I dropped out of school. Yeah, OK, fair, fair. Uh, <laughs> for, Whanganui uh, host uh, King Country. Uh, it's kind of something of a derby, yep. isn't it? The sort of the, the northern neighbours, uh, King Country. Uh, yes, they, not, yep. they, they share a border. Uh, Butcher Boys should be too strong, though, shouldn't they? Yeah, um, and they also play for the Pine Tree Log, uh, or uh, yeah, post. Yeah, it's, it's literally a, a fence post. And uh, But I think Whanganui will be far too strong. Um, they, they've definitely shown their cards early with the great victory in Greymouth. And um, and that's what I'm saying because it is always hard to travel down there and pick up a win. So um, back at home, Cooks Gardens. It's oh, it's, I, if it's not a twenty plus point win, I'll eat my hat. Yeah. All right then. Now, what about Horofinua Carpeti? Uh, they host uh, South Canterbury uh, this week, and of course, everybody's eyes are on South Canterbury uh, as the reigning champions. Horofinua Carpeti, though, started with a, a very good win on the east coast. Yeah, and funnily enough, I was talking to Ryan Shelford uh, today and um, he had uh, the pleasure of donning the Horofanua jersey for the 100th time against East Coast last weekend. And um, so we had a good old chat about that and he was the first to agree. They just didn't get their structure right. Um, East Coast were leading at half-time, 14-13, and I thought, game on. And um, only one team came out, unfortunately, in the second half, and that was Horofanua. And, um, but, I mean, East Coast did try their hardest, but... Uh, Two two quick tries by Horofanua sort of gave them the win, and uh, the message at, in the sheets at half time was, "Okay, boys, let's just stop, think, and get back to our structure." And if they can do that against South Canterbury, who I thought were really slow out of the blocks against Ten Valley, um, I think this could be a close one as well. But um, the weather's not meant to be too bad here in Wellington, or living in uh, on Saturday, and I probably will have to lean towards South Canterbury. They know what to do on the road, and I think that South Canterbury will pick up the win. Yeah, all right. Now, South Canterbury for the win over Hotter Fennel with Carpetsy. Uh, Mid Canterbury up against East Coast. Uh, I mean, you know, mm. Nazi Parabi East Coast, as you said, started well against Hotter Fenua, uh, didn't appear for the second half. Will they appear for this road trip, Kevin? Wow. They've won four games in 20, um, four games in 20 against. Uh, Mid Canterbury since um, 1991, so you know it's, a, it's still a relatively new fixture. This one, uh, they haven't played for a couple of years against each other. The last victory against Mid Canterbury was back in 
the famous year of 2012 when they when they won the Meads Cup. But since then, it's been uh, 60 points, 50 points, 76 points, 56 points. But then last year, it was, um, uh, what do you call it, up at Ruatoria, Mid-Canterbury managed to get a slight win by 7, by 22 points to 15. So, similar to teams on the road, I probably would have to lean towards Mid-Canterbury at um, Ashburton. Um, but I don't think it will be a blowout like we've seen in previous years. Um, yeah, so Mid-Canterbury, um, even though I'm a Sky Blue supporter. Yeah, all right, Mid-Canterbury for the win uh, against East Coast. They are at home for that one. What about Poverty Bay, wider up a bush? Surely the bay bounce back, uh, although the bush can't be that bad two weeks in a row. Yes, they can. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean... I mean, the, the the only reason I say that it's um, first home game for Poverty Bay, first defence of the Bruce Osborne Tionga um, that's been played for as well. Uh, we we mentioned about that last week. Um, yeah, the, the, if Wairapa can and can get their their game plan together, they will push Poverty Bay. Um, they've done okay against them in pre-seasons in recent years. Uh, they've done okay, um, you know. Quite quite often against Poverty Bay, um, but if we have the same team that run ran out last Sunday, then it's Poverty Bay all day. If uh, Wairarapa Bush can get out to a 14 point lead, um, I'll definitely lean towards Wairarapa Bush bringing home the new trophy. Yeah, all right. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting one, mate. We're looking forward to it. Uh, of course, the the table at the moment, early days, looks like this. Uh, there are four teams with maximum points of five. North Otago, Whanganui, mm-hmm. Horofenua, Kapiti and Buller. And then we've got Poverty Bay, East Coast, West Coast and Wider Upper Bush with none. And then a bunch of teams, mm-hmm. uh, well, four teams in the middle with a mixture of other points. So uh, all to play for. We're looking forward to seeing how this all rolls out next weekend. Kevin, uh, I know that there's an All Blacks test on this weekend as well in Christchurch. Um, yep. Sounds like Bowden Barrett might not make it. So we might see Stephen Perafeta uh, get an opportunity at home, uh, potentially off the bench. Isn't it great to see the Wanganui boys and the Heartland boys fronting up for the ABs? That's all I can say about that. Where's Cullen Grace? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Where's I mean, Phil Coffin? It is. It's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, his, uh, his son Josh is uh, playing for East Coast. So um, <laughs> so the, the, the name's still floating around there. So, no, uh, I think the ABs will do the business. They'll, they'll get up, and my other eyes will be in um, Los Angeles for the Sevens as well. Don't forget that. They're on this weekend. Yeah, actually, we talked to Mary Baker on uh, on Sunday because she, uh, she was at the airport about to head up there, and there's a, uh, there's a woman's like Barbar's team that she's coaching in that competition this weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah. I missed that bit. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, yeah. Kiwis involved everywhere. Kevin, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Always good to talk footy with you. Uh, go well and, and enjoy your weekend, eh? Uh, shall do, and thanks for the call. Yeah, no worries at all. Uh, rugbyheartland.co.nz, everything you need to know about Heartland Rugby is right there. Kevin runs that website. Always good to uh, get some time with him to talk the code at that level. It is 17 past eight here on SENZ. 21 past eight here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. A reminder that we have Hoopheads, the basketball show with Casey Frank and Justin Nelson after nine o'clock. Before then, we'll be talking to Yitka Klimkova. She is the coach of the Football Ferns. She named a team today to take on Mexico and the Philippines uh, in a couple of games in September 
in the United States as they continue preparation for uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup, which has been co-hosted by New Zealand and Australia next year. So we'll uh, catch up with Yitka, talk about some of the players she's uh, she's got, so about their opponents as well and what she's looking to achieve. So that's still to come. Of course, we do have a test match this weekend. Argentina are in town. Uh, they've got an interesting coaching group. Uh, David Kidwell, the former Kiwis coach, he's been uh, a number two at to Brad Arthur at Parramatta and uh, Craig Bellamy at the Melbourne Storm as well. Now he's number two to former Wallabies coach Michael Checker, who is coaching the Pumas. Uh, and interestingly, Michael Checker's also had a crack at coaching international rugby league, coaching, I think it was Lebanon um, at the Rugby League World Cup. Is that right, Ben? Was yeah, still co- I believe he's still under contract to coach them there this year. Yeah, so there's a Rugby League World Cup at the end of the year, so that'll be interesting to see how that goes. So, uh, well, yeah, that, that's going to be interesting um, to see how, how that all plays out. In fact, um, David Kidwell, I think, will become the first person to have coached the Kiwis and then coached against the All Blacks, um, I believe. Uh, and he is on with Ian Smith tomorrow morning around 10 o'clock. So uh, one for you to, to check out uh, when that comes up. Uh, but uh, Pablo Matera, former Crusader, of course, uh, he was talking today uh, after the Pumas got to New Zealand and sort of got settled into Christchurch ahead of the test at Orange Theory Stadium on Saturday. Well, Pablo, what's it like to be back in Christchurch? I feel really good. Uh, it's been short, but I, I miss this place a lot. So I'm really happy to to be back here again. And the weather has been great. Been able to catch uh, a few old friends already. So enjoying my time here with the team and preparing to play against the All Blacks. So I think there's nothing better to be here and preparing that game. As you said, you now come to New Zealand though as the enemy. How are you <laughs> feeling about that? No, I'm good. It's gonna be. I played the All Blacks a couple of times already, but. I never knew the, the guys in front, and now I'm going to play against a, a couple of friends. But I'm going to make sure I forget that uh, when we're playing, and it's going to be it's going to be really interesting, yeah. You were teammates with, obviously, guys like Sam Whitelock, Scott Barrett, as, as you mentioned. Jason Ryan was the forwards coach. He's now the, the All Blacks forwards coach. What do you expect from the All Blacks pack this weekend, and is there any sort of inside knowledge in a way that you can, you can harness from having spent so much time with some of those guys? Nah, not really. The knowledge is knowing a little more of the players and uh, I never played against, I, I never knew them before and now I know them uh, as person and as players and the, the, the pack of the All Blacks looks really strong and I'm sure that now with Jess is even stronger. He's the, the, the best forward coach I ever I ever met so I'm sure it's he's going to bring a lot of a lot of uh, new and good stuff for the All Blacks, and I'm sure it's going to be the big challenge in the weekend. It's going to be against the the forward pack from the All Blacks for sure. An historic win for Argentina two years ago against the All Blacks. You won a lot on Orange Theory Stadium as a Crusader. How special would it be to tip up the All Blacks for Argentina? That would be amazing. We we haven't played here in New Zealand for I think four years now since the 2018 and. Being able to be back here and playing in Christchurch, I think, is a is a massive opportunity. The the game couldn't be couldn't be more more awesome. So I'm I'm looking forward to to be back at Orangateri Stadium and uh, we never we never beat the All Blacks here in New Zealand. So that's I think that's the next step for us. Yeah, they haven't beaten the All Blacks here. That is a goal that they uh, the Pumas have, and uh, you know you wouldn't put it past them given 
the way the All Blacks have been travelling, but also you know the way that the Pumas put the uh, Wallabies away in that second test of the rugby championship that they had. So you can get your thoughts on that. Double eight, double three, temper bedpost text machine. Uh, do you think the Pumas can do it? They've got two games here: one in Christchurch, one in Hamilton. Can they get over the All Blacks? In one of those tests, I think if it's going to happen, it'll probably be the first one. But uh, keen to get your thoughts, double eight, double three, the Temper Bed Post text machine here on SENZ Extra Time. When we come back, Yitka Klimkova talks football ferns. This is Extra Time on SENZ and delighted to be joined by Yitka Klimkova, the football ferns coach uh, who's out of the States. So Yitka, you're sitting there all on your own, waiting for the team to turn up, are you? Yeah, it's a couple of days before we start. I'm very excited to see the team again after a couple of weeks. Uh, when I spend some time with the Twenties, I am ready to work again with the seniors. Yeah, and you've got a, a couple of great games coming up too uh, in the States. So sort of out of the comfort zone, there'll be no distractions. It'll all be in camp. We've got the Mexicans and the Philippines, two teams that give us, I guess, something different in terms of an opponent. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, playing against Mexico, it's uh, always uh, exciting for us. Uh, we know uh, about their strengths. They are very creative, um, good on the ball, great with 1v1 attack, good on the flanks with their combinations. They are always looking for delivery to the box uh, and they are very brave in the box. So we need to be prepared for uh, solid defending uh, from our side and obviously we are working a lot on our attacking phase uh, to be a little bit more dangerous as a team and uh, to create more chances which actually happened uh, last time we uh, performed in Europe playing against Norway and Wales we uh, really got much uh, better in our attacking phase specifically in the final third but didn't score a goal. So uh, this is something what we want to improve and uh, see um, those those chances uh, to be put in. Yeah, the Mexicans uh, are interesting, aren't they? They're kind of uh, somewhere between the, that South American style of football, but they tend to be a bit more aggressive, a bit more physical. They are very physical. They are very good in their attacking transition. They are very good on the ball. So uh, they, they can be very unpredictable, uh, specifically because their individual qualities are very creative. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it will be challenging opposition. But um, again, those games uh, are the games that we need and that uh, uh, will help us to be prepared for our home World Cup. You've also got the Philippines too, which really interests me. Of course, the Aussies will know a bit more about them than than we will uh, playing in the Asian Confederation. Uh, but they seem to be a team and a, and a nation uh, in the women's game that is on the on the improve. They they seem to be going in the upward direction. What a great opportunity for the Philippines to be first time part of the World Cup. Uh, they obviously are playing every game. Um, better and better. I can see how much they are improving as a team. Um, it will be a different way than a typical um, uh, Asian style of play. Mm. We've played uh, we've played against uh, Korea a couple months ago. We are going to play against Japan, but it's going to be a little bit different uh, than this, uh, that the game that we are going to face uh, against Philippines. They have a lot of uh, American players, uh, which means they will obviously be very dangerous again with their transition. They have some quality on top, 
so again, we need to be prepared uh, for this kind of challenge. And again, we will be uh, working on our improvement, uh, specifically on the ball. Yeah, the Philippines, they strike me as a side. I mean, you just look at the background of the of the country. You know, obviously it's had American occupation before that it had Spanish. Uh, so it's quite a different makeup physiologically as well to a lot of other Asian countries. And do you see that European influence with the Spanish uh, going on as well in terms of the way they play their football? Uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, there, It's a lot of diversity in the team. So again, uh, it's something different versus what we were facing uh, before in our games, um, well, let's say from October 2021. So uh, it will be great for us because of the diver diversity of the opposition. You know, that's something what we want to um, face before we step uh, on, the, uh, on the field July 20th to have different ways different styles uh, uh, of our teams that we are uh, playing against. And definitely Mexico and Philippines are totally different, uh, different two styles that we have not faced yet against. Yeah, and you've got uh, you've got a, a new face in the mix as well, uh, a player in India who has previously played, of course, for uh, the soccer. Well, not I was going to say the Socceroos. No, it's not the Socceroos, is it? It's, uh, Matildas. <laughs> the Matildas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's played for the Matildas previously. What does she add for you? Well, uh, she is very quality player. Um, she, I know, she's quite versatile. She. Uh, is now more used to play as a defender, but she um, has a lot of experience playing uh, on top. And uh, I'm excited to see where she fits uh, with our style of play, with our team. And having this kind of versatility is uh, very positive uh, uh, to, to bring to the team, um, just to see like we have a lot of quality defenders. I think something what uh, we want to, um, have a little bit more uh, opportunities um, on top. So uh, my first thinking, uh, let's see how Indy is going to fit uh, uh, as an attacking player. But again, I know that she uh, is a quality defender as well. So yeah, uh, she's young. Uh, she played in Australia. Now she's playing in Denmark in a professional environment. So I know how much it's important for the players to be prepared for those kind of games and she's in in really good league uh, playing playing in Denmark and facing against stronger positions so yeah I'm very excited to see her and I know the players are very excited to um, to welcome her in our Ferns family yeah it might be forecasting a little bit out but just from what you've said she's been an attacking player who's playing defensively now is she somebody, given that she'll have that skill on the ball and the ability to hold the ball, close control, that you could see eventually being a six, you know, somebody who can take the ball off the defence and help distribute? Well, I've seen her uh, most efficient uh, on the flanks. So that, that will be my start uh, to see potentially how she's, uh, she's fitting to our team uh, on the flank. But obviously I'm very open. I am not uh, um, fixed uh, on, on that position, but I know she's more comfortable there. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see, Ricardo. We'll see if, if her best position is going to be the six. Um, I am quite open with it. If she yeah. is going to help us to keep the ball, uh, to connect with the players around, to combine with the players, uh, to penetrate, 
um, that's what I am, I am, um, or we all are focusing uh, on on uh, our our game to to get better with. Well, we haven't seen Anna Leet involved for a little while. She's been obviously juggling club commitments, and she's now landed with Aston Villa in the UK, which is great. Feels like at the moment, probably your one of your biggest headaches is deciding who your number one is, because obviously Erin's been there for a long time. You've got Lily playing at a really good level. You've got Vic Essen now at Rangers, who's played at a good level and, and shown what she can do as well. And now Anna's back in the fold, who last time she was in, really impressed. I mean, how far away from uh, are you from going, this is who my number one is? This is the best, Ricardo. This is the best to have. If we are ho- having four players who can actually jump on the field and be number one. This is the best for the coaching staff uh, to, to discuss who at this point against this kind of a position is the best fit. Uh, Anna um, is in Aston Villa. She's very happy. She's playing. She's training hard. She's coming back from long-term injury. So I, I had a chance to visit her during the Euros in England, in England um, at her club. And the coaches are very excited about her improvement. You know, being on the field after three months, uh, not uh, really touching the ball, it's not easy, but uh, she is uh, absolutely committed. Uh, she uh, knows what is in front of her and how, uh, how talented she is, but the talent is not enough. You have to really work hard and smart, and, and that's, that's her journey right now. And I'm very excited to, to see her back. Yeah, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of players, new faces that have worked into the team in the last couple of years as well, which is great to see. Of course, we've just had the Under-20 World Cup uh, where New Zealand got a couple of creditable draws against Mexico and Colombia and probably would, would be disappointed with the Germany result. Uh, but overall, what did you make of, of the team performance uh, at the World Cup? Mm-hmm. I have to say, just just listening to you, I am, I am having goosebumps because uh, those players... Uh, created such amazing environment. Uh, it was absolutely unique team with a lot of good individual players and how they perform as a team of the field and of, on the field is, is, um, is just bright future uh, for, for our football in New Zealand. Uh, those players um, have talent. Those players, I would say, put everything on the field. And even in, in this loss against Germany, our best performance was actually uh, against Germany, specifically in the first half, mm. when we all felt we can beat Germany. And it's not happening every day on the field when New Zealand is actually pushing so hard that Germany has trouble to create anything and is actually um, quite nervous about the result. So I'm very proud of this team. I'm very proud of the, of the staff uh, that was working uh, for the players. Um, They've, they've created, how I said, amazing environment and um, all the under the 20 uh, games that we, we saw were quality games and uh, having a draw against uh, Mexico, having a draw against Colombia, those are very positive results. And how I said, there is a lot of players that I am sure we will see in the future. We saw goals there too. Uh, I mean, I know that you've selected a couple of players out of that team, but uh, possibly, you know, a player that stood out for me um, with the ball at her feet in that attacking third is, uh, was Alyssa Wynnum. How close is she uh, to the Ferns for you? And was this just a case of going, you've had this big experience, go home and have a break and then we'll bring you in later? Or what was the thought for you on that? Yeah, Alyssa, it's... Um... 
very technical and creative player and it's exciting to just watch her with the ball and I've learned how much competitive this girl is, which is great, you know, that will serve her very well in the future. Uh, I had really good conversations with her. I think the timing of when to bring her uh, to the ferns is important for her, for us. Um, yeah, I am sure when she's going to be ready, she will be part of the ferns. Uh, what about Rhea Percival? Because she's been so important for you previously and, you know, for, for the Ferns and also for Tottenham. Um, and then she obviously had that knee injury. What's, what's she tracking like in terms of being in, available for the World Cup? Uh, do, you, do you have any update on that? Yes, yes. I'm in, I'm in touch with Rhea uh, regularly. We just chatted uh, yesterday on the phone. I visited her again uh, during my stay in England in July. Um, she is um, she is amazing person. She is a hard worker. Uh, she wants to do more than she's supposed to do. So that's just who she is. Um, yeah, she's she's doing really well. Uh, every the, the surgery went well. Uh, she's on track. Um, she's doing everything what she can do. Her priority is to be part of the World Cup, and with her uh, attitude. I am quite certain she is going to be back. Because oh, we've got the uh, Women's Super League in England kicking off in, I think, a week, maybe two. Um, yeah, do, yeah, do in you, September. Mm -hmm. September, yeah. Do, do you think she will be part of the Tottenham team at any point in the season? So her priority is to be part of the World Cup team. Mm -hmm. uh, if she is going to uh, make an end of the season uh, with Tottenham, that's just going to be a bonus. Uh, her priority is just to focus on, on the World Cup and be prepared for, for uh, July 2023. Yeah, OK. Well, now, you, you mentioned at the start there we, we, we want to focus on goals. That is the, you know, we want, to, we want to see goals against Mexico, goals against the Philippines. Does that mean a change in system for you or is that just a, a change in what, where the focus is? Well, um, I wouldn't say it's uh, all about uh, the, the system or our formations. It's more about our decisions uh, on the ball. And how I said, that's improving. We are getting better with it. Uh, the uh, tour in Europe, we had probably the best quality sessions I've ever seen since uh, I am involved with, with the Ferns. So um, I feel we, we, are, uh, we are going the right direction. We increase the number of crosses, we increase number of shots, and now we just need to be more efficient. We need to connect those crosses with our runs uh, in the box. We need to be smarter a little bit uh, in the box uh, to unmark them, uh, ourselves and be more free in the box. We need to find the players in the box. We need to attack the ball the right uh, way uh, in the box so we can actually uh, score goals. So this is the main focus uh, during our sessions uh, in, uh, in uh, LA. Uh, obviously, we are not forgetting about defense. Uh, we know we are going to face strong opposition, so we will we'll keep uh, our compact shape and we'll um, defend um, individually uh, to to best our abilities. Uh, but our main focus in in LA is going to be um, efficient decisions in the final third. Yeah, okay. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, the team in action. Thank you very much for giving us so much time uh, this morning. I really appreciate it. Go well and, and good luck for this tour and hopefully we can talk again soon. Thank you, Ricardo. 
10 away from 9 here on SENZ Extra Time. Uh, we have our own uh, resident darts, Tragic, uh, host of At The Oki as well. Every, uh, I was going to say every second Monday, but it was Tuesday this week and you had a two-hour show. Ben Francis, uh, do you want to tell us why you had a two-hour show last night? Well, we had a two-hour show because the biggest ticket in town is this weekend in Hamilton. I know there's going to be lots of people wanting to go to the Waikato rugby game on Friday night. There's actually a bigger event just down the road at Globox Arena with the New Zealand Darts Masters in town. First time since 2019. Uh, lots of the biggest names in the world of darts playing against some of our local guys, which will be a, a lot of fun. Uh, when's the draw done? The draw is tomorrow morning, actually. I think it's around 11am. So uh, we'll find out who exactly is playing who then. Uh, Gerwin Price was telling me that he got a few boos and playing up in Townsville, uh, so really? he's kind of he's kind of hoping <laughs> he's kind of hoping not to get a, a draw in Kiwi, so he doesn't get those boos again. But we'll just have to wait and see. I'm, there's probably a couple of guys there that really want to take him on. Yeah, all right, okay, well, that's interesting, mate. I mean, I'm looking uh, at the at the odds here. I'm keen to see who do you think is favourite this uh, this weekend. It's really hard to say because lots of it does depend on your draw yeah, and you can't really go off form from other tournaments. And I say that because you look at Johnny Clayton who won last week in New South Wales, he had literally not really fired a shot and I would say three months. Right. And then all of a sudden he just came out of nowhere and blitzed everyone. He was back to his old self and, and he was uh, the man from South Wales was crowned uh, New South Wales Darts Master. Yeah, right. And it was very South Wales. So, yeah. You know, uh, very South Wales. I'll tell you, Michael Van Gerwen is the favourite at the TAB. Which is probably fair because I said this to him when I interviewed him yesterday. I said, you won in Auckland in 2018 and you won the last New Zealand Darts Masters in 2019. So you're effectively unbeaten here in five years, yeah. four or five years. And he kind of laughed at that and he's like, well, yeah, you can put it that way. So he, he, he has got a very good record here if you put it like that. Yeah, well, he's the $4 favourite. Uh, second favourite is Gerwin Price at $5. Who do you think is the third favourite? My pick would be, um, I'd say James Wade. No, Dimitri Vandenberg at $6 is the third favourite at the TAB. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Dimitri, first time down here, and mm. he, he was he was awesome to talk to. If you got want to go back and listen to any of the interviews, go to the At The Oki page. Uh, some fantastic chats there, and the one with Dimitri was one of my favourites. He, he's a good man. He's a good laugh, and has a go at some more Kiwi slang. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, then Johnny Clayton at 7s, Michael Smith at 8s. James Wade is 10 to 1. Which is, worth investing, do you think? Is that where you'd you'd go? I don't think that's actually a bad shout. He reached the final uh, last week in New South Wales uh, before losing to Johnny in the final, and he is playing well. He did tell me that he's kind of got one eye already kind of going back over to the UK because his wife literally gave birth to their second child about two days before he left here. Right. So he's kind of got all that on the back of his mind. The tour is getting closer to ending. Uh, so... Could be worth a shot. I don't think he's. I don't know how. I don't think he's reached the final here. I could be wrong. Uh, I think Michael Van Gerwen is deservedly the favourite. Uh, I don't think Johnny Clayton will back up. It's actually quite often. Actually, it's quite rare for a player to do a double down here, win two titles. So that I, that could effectively rule Van Gerwen and Johnny Clayton out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, then we have Joe Cullen at elevens, and then it's the Aussies: Damon Hetter at twenty ones and Simon Whitlock at twenty sixes. I quite like those actually. Just just for a cheeky. Just Damon a, Hedder at twenty ones, I like. 
Yeah, Damon, he once again, he hasn't really fired too much, but he's gotten very tough draws in the in the two uh games that have been played here. And I think they've actually gone to like last league deciders. So it's not like he hasn't he hasn't, you know, struggled. It's just the fact that he's come up against quality opposition, which uh, is never easy. But if he can get on a run, the crowd would definitely be behind him. Okay. And then we've got Fallon Sherrick and Gordon Mathers at 151. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Robb, who you know quite well, at 201. And then Caden Mill, Mel Cumming, Bernie Smith. Oh, sorry. Caden Mill and Mel Cumming are, coming are 251. And then Bernie Smith and Warren Parry, 301. Oh, quite, quite a nice uh, few good odds there. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, now, of course, you're going to be heading to Hamilton this weekend. Yes. Have you got your outfit planned? No. Oh, are you going to be wearing one? Because that's, that's the deal. Apparently, you have to wear one when you go down there. No, I want to be dressed professional. I'm going there in a media capacity. Oh, right. So I gotta, I'm always professional there. I'm not, I'm not dressing up in uh, any, any crazy clothing. Unless someone does have an outfit they do want me to wear, I will probably, I can try it. Okay, but so suit and tie, suit and tie. I think uh, Justin Nelson's, Justin Nelson's on the on the jitsi. Well, he's just put his finger up. I don't know if that's because he's got an idea of an outfit for you. He's of course going to be on with us shortly uh, for hoop heads in the next hour. Maybe, maybe maybe I should go as the man dressed as the guy who's going to save rugby. Yeah. Oh, look at that! Look at that oh. beanie. That is a thing of true beauty from Justin Nelson. Uh, there you go. The hoop heads next. <laughs> It's just gone 10 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through to 11 o'clock. Joining us out of London, England, is a man who writes for the H-List. He's formerly written for 442 and The Guardian as well. Jim Kearns, how are you, sir? Yes, hey, sorry, can you can you hear me, Rick? Yeah, I've got you now, mate. I've got you now. Uh, of course, uh, a died-in-the-wool West Ham fan. We will talk other things other than West Ham, but we should start... Uh, with your beloved Hammers uh, first. Uh, not the start of the season you would have wanted, I think, is probably uh, understatement of the year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little distressed that you are starting with West Ham. It feels, it feels a bit unreasonable. Um, that's <laughs> that's going to depress me. Um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, you don't want the 5,000-word answer to this, but it's it's been a disastrous start, clearly. Three, uh, three defeats and three and no goals. Um, but possibly some extenuating circumstances. You know, you play Manchester City... On the first day, difficult game. Brighton, we've never beaten since they came back into the Premier League, um, and they look very good. Um, and then I think the game at Nottingham Forest was a sort of, uh, you know, a Shakespearean tragedy of the game. I don't quite know how they lost it. So, I, I, I think there are some extenuating circumstances. But if you, you know, if you call me back in in two weeks and we still haven't won, uh, I, I might be starting to sort of get under the covers a little bit because that would be disastrous. <laughs> uh, well, it feels like after last season, Moyes has got credit in the bank with West Ham fans that he might not have always had since he's been there. How's the feeling at the moment? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, you know, if you, if you think back, well, you know, four months, you know, we're in a Europa League semi-final. So I think that you're, you're quite right. There is credit in the bank. With that being said, there is a bit of an odd turn that people are sort of starting to get a bit angsty and some of that's to do with the fact that, you know, we've spent, well, as of yesterday, £125 million on new players. Um, and a lot of them haven't really been starting, which is a mixture of injuries and just them not really being match fit. Um, but people are starting to sort of say, well, we bought all these new guys. Where are they? Um, that in itself is also a reflection of the fact that I think the club are trying to transition away from being a counter-attacking side to being a possession side. Um, and that in itself, that will just take a little bit of time. So I, I think he's got 
credit in the bank, as you say, but, you know, two, three more losses and, yeah, things might start to turn a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I look at the business that uh, West Ham have done. Nicola Vlasic's never really quite fired there, so he's gone on loan um, to to Reno. Yamalenko was a very hit-and-miss player. You get a decent game out of him about every 10. Um, and every, every, everybody else on that, you know, list, Mark Noble was past, past his use by. I think you've done good business with the guys that you've got out. Um and I'm interested to see how the others go that you've brought in. I mean, Flynn Downs is one for the future out of Swansea. He's a midfielder. I doubt you'll see mm-hmm. a lot of him this year. But guys like Maxwell Cornet and particularly Gianluca Scamaca, uh, who's been brought for his goals, uh, those guys I'm surprised, given how things have gone already this season, we haven't seen more of. Yeah, I mean, agree with your assessment. I think what they've the players that they've replaced, they have definitely replaced them all with upgrades. I don't think you could reasonably argue that's not the case and it very well ought to be the case given they've spent so much money um i think skamaka and corno the problem is west ham have this sort of historic issue of not being able to get deals over the line until quite late in the in the transfer window and so if you if you compare them for instance to say sort of spurs or arsenal who did a lot of deals up front as soon as the window opened uh, west ham have done it later so therefore players have missed more of their pre-season so i think they're just sort of not up to speed um, themselves physically and then you overlay that with being at a new club a new way of playing or in Skamaka's case a new country altogether um, it probably will take a bit of time to blend but yeah I mean Skamaka was essentially the, the, the most sought after young forward in, in Europe I would say given his age and profile and all the rest of it so West Ham getting him was a huge coup and you would think that within the next 10 games he'd have to be establishing himself in the side and they're starting to play around him because otherwise that's a very expensive substitute to have at 30-odd million. Yeah, yeah, very expensive. I mean, all the talk has been about him being, uh, you know, the next Zlatan or the new Zlatan. Uh, he has played in Europe, your European qualifying, scored a couple of goals. Is it Viking that you played or Viborg? Oh, Viborg, yes, yeah, the, the Danish side. Yeah, he, yeah, he scored uh, against them and, and looked pretty decent. Um, but the pedigree you're talking about, of course, is comes from, you know, when he played in Serie A. Um, for Sassuolo and then in the in the international the national team as well. Um, but I mean, is is any could anybody be the new Zlatan? I mean, I, he's such a such an unusual player um, and, and, and guy. You know, in general, I think it would be a difficult match to live up to. But what he does have, I think, is an unusual combination of being you know, physically dynamic. He's six foot five, but also quick. Yeah, so he's good in the air, but also good with his feet. It's kind of like the holy grail for a striker, right? Normally you get one or the other. You know, you get Andy Carroll, you know, who's, you know, very good on the, in the air, maybe not quite so good with the ball at his feet. So I think West Ham have gone for this sort of total, total package of being physical and technical. Um, I'm really excited to see how he does, you know. I mean, the one maybe the one caveat is that Italians haven't historically, in general, translated all that well to, to, to the Premier League. Of course, there have been a few who have been exceptional, people like Zola and so on. Was but by and large... called De Canio was all right for you blokes? Yeah, I'm trying to... Yes, uh, I'm, I'm remembering back uh, to him. Yeah, you, you're quite right. But, but as, a, as a more general sort of observation, a couple of people around the game have said to me, oh, you know, Italians haven't translated all that well to the, to the Premier League. So we'll see. But I don't know. I think because he's physical, I, I, I see him doing well.
Yeah, he's a, yeah, so long as he's not a, well, I mean, Peter Crouch, he always had that, he, he's good in the air for a big man versus he's good on the, uh, on the ground for a big man, didn't he? You know, because he was a bit rubbish in the air. Um, so, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, to be honest, I'm a, I'm a little bit filthy because I, I was watching uh, Scarmarker a bit o- over the last couple of seasons and then he was linked with uh, Manchester United at one point as well. And I mm-hmm. looked at him and I thought, oh, you know, if he goes to West Ham, you know, it's it's really only him or Antonio. Surely he's going to be playing games, getting minutes. So I brought him straight into my FPL team and he hasn't played. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's an old adage which is never rely on a West Ham player for your fantasy league team, and, and you're 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 discovering that unfortunately, an awful lot of people have put Bowen into their team and obviously got nothing so far. Um, but you know, an interesting point you make there actually is, you know, he he's a guy who was linked with Manchester United ends up at West Ham. What that probably tells you a little bit is the strength of the middle of the Premier League. Right? Those teams are so, um, you know, they've got so much money now, and they're smarter and they're better. And that's probably translating a little bit into what we're seeing in the early parts of the season, right? You know, teams like Brighton and Palace look really, really good. And I think some of that's just those English teams can go and outbid um, equivalent or even, you know, higher ranked um, teams from overseas leagues just because of the TV money. Um, And that in itself is contributing, I think, to making the Premier League so interesting at the moment. Yeah, so you've got got Steven Gerrard's Villa this weekend after you've, uh, after you've, uh, got past Viborg um, in Europa League, or not Europa, was it Europa Conference qualifying? Um, mm-hmm. Stevie, yeah. Stevie G's come under a bit of pressure, actually. I saw um, the other day somebody had posted stats, his stats at Villa versus Gary Neville's stats at Valencia, and they were <laughs> almost the same. Um, so you can see why maybe he's starting to come under a bit of pressure. Are you, are you confident of getting something uh, at Villa Park? Yeah, I saw, I saw that comparison. I, I was highly amused by it, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, Villa are, um, we are oddly Villa's bogey side. So since they've come back into the Premier League, I don't I think I'm right in saying that they haven't beaten us. Um, and we beat them home and away last year, beat them 4-1 at Villa. But things have moved on. I mean, West Ham are a different side. I think part of the pressure for him is he spent so much money. And there is, a, again, another huge turnover this summer. Big money signings have come in and I don't necessarily know how well they're doing. Plus one or two youngsters went out um, as well, which always causes a bit of unrest. Yeah, I think they're a good team for us to play, not least because we play Spurs and Chelsea immediately afterwards. So it's not getting any easier. So I think we desperately need something from the weekend. I think that West Ham can beat Villa, especially away from home, because we can sort of revert a little bit to that counter-attacking style, which is what we did to them last year, hit them on the break. And I think that they are beatable. I think if we lose it, though, um, all of a sudden you're at the bottom of quite a steep hill, I think. Yeah, that is true. Uh, a very steep hill. Uh, what about the Europa Conference League, then? Uh, how seriously do you think David Moyes will take it? And can you take anything uh, from the teams he's put out in the qualifying um, to, to give you a guide on that or not? Um, probably a little bit difficult because I think they always felt they were going to be viable. I mean, they're seventh in the Danish league. So you would imagine that, um, you know, West Ham would, would be able to get past them. And what I think you saw in the first leg was a mixture of younger players or fringe players getting game time, plus the new signings getting a chance to, to get up to speed and get a bit of fitness into their legs. I, I, think, I think West Ham will take it quite seriously so long as they start to pick up points in the Premier League, which is you know, essentially what happened last year, they were flying in the league, were really in, in an, I would argue, probably focused a little bit on the Europa League at one point and, and 
why not? Because we got all the way to the semi-final of the competition and probably should have got to the final. Um, so I think they'll take it quite seriously. It'll obviously depend a little bit on the draw. There, there are some good teams knocking around in that competition, but if they get a, a favourable draw, they might be able to, to to play the youngsters one, you know, in one or two games. Um, but I think they'll have a go at it until it really causes them problems in the league. But of course, the whole season's messed up this year because you have the World Cup slap bang in the middle of it. So I think there's there's that overlaid on top of it, which makes it a little bit difficult really to predict how teams are going to approach anything this year because they're all going to get a month off at Christmas. Um, it, I, I see a story linking West Ham to Conor Gallagher from, from Chelsea, uh, which would be a great get if you can get it. So you're obviously not finished in the uh, in the transfer market then? It doesn't seem like it. I think they might be into the realms now of loans. Um, and I think that the last I heard they were sort of knocking at Chelsea's door for, for almost anybody Chelsea would give them. So I think there's Gallagher, Brozier, um, Hudson-Odoi. I think that he's now going somewhere else. But yeah, I mean, the, the thing about Gallagher is he was brilliant last year for Palace. Um, but he, you might argue he's not what West Ham need. What West Ham are struggling with is a passing midfielder. Mm. They're really struggling to progress the ball through the middle. And, and a lot of the blame's sort of being fixed on Suchek at the moment because he's a he's a runner, you know, and he's a, he's a guy who arrives in the box and scores goals and defends and all the rest of it. Not a million miles away from Gallagher. Gallagher's not a passing midfielder. So I think they might be interested in him, but I, I would be interested if he would um, solve the problems they're facing at the moment. I think they might need to, if they get him, they might still need to, to go and get another midfielder somewhere who can help them get from, from front to back because they're struggling with that at the moment. Well, maybe you should hit Chelsea up and see if they want to loan you Jorginho. I think at this point we won't take anybody. <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, I think that you know, one. I, I suspect Chelsea are probably quite keen to deal with West Ham because they'd like to secure an option on um, uh, on Declan Rice. So I think there's there's probably a lot of intrigue going on in all of those discussions at the moment. Plus, Chelsea in, in general are crazy in the transfer market, right? I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> they're buying every defender going, so I can't work out what they're doing at all. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, there's no no the way Todd Bowley's going. There's no um guarantees that if West Ham go in for Conor Gallagher, he doesn't offer you Conor Gallagher and £40 million for Declan Rice because that's the sort of things that they're doing. Cause, and Declan Rice hasn't actually set things on fire. He's probably had some of his poorer games in a West Ham shirt this season so far. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think some of that is is systemic. So that kind of point I was making about um, teams are, are letting West Ham play through the middle because I think they, they know it's a struggle for them. And I think systemically we're in a bit of a, a weird place where as I said we're sort of trying to transition from one system to another but yeah Chelsea, Chelsea you're, you're not doing your job properly if you don't ring them up and, and make a crazy offer for one of their players at the moment because who knows what Todd Bowley's doing so uh, yeah they probably should be ringing them every day and, uh, and asking them for someone. Yeah all right mate well let's uh, have a look uh, at a few other clubs and a few other stories Jim. Uh, one of those of course is Manchester United's win over Liverpool at Old Trafford which means that that wouldn't put Manchester United above Liverpool in the league. Uh, strangely, three <laughs> games in Liverpool, still winless. Um, honestly, that you talk about uh, midfields that need a bit of work. When you go to Old Trafford for you know what you know is going to be a, a highly charged derby, and your starting midfielder is um, Harvey Elliott, uh, James Milner, and Jordan Henderson, and you've got Fabinho sat on the bench. Something do- doesn't feel right about that to me. I, yeah, and in particular, it was an, that was odd, given that Manchester United's problems historically have all been in the centre of the park, right? I mean, if you look at the week before, Man United went to Brentford and, and, and 
you know, as the, as the saying goes over here, instead of playing in midfield, they just went with vibes, you know, so <laughs> just, you know, you know, Ericsson floating around and, and I think, you know, it was McTominay there, but, you know, like just the, just the, the, the most odd um, selection you've ever seen. So I, I think, yeah, the, the Liverpool thing is, is a bit strange because I still think they're very good. I mean, I, I still think Liverpool will, will finish second, um, but they have looked really off the pace at times, uh, you know, so far this season. You know, draws with Fulham, draws with Palace, and didn't look at it at all on Monday. Something doesn't seem quite right there. Uh, Naby Kate has never really taken off for Liverpool. Liverpool fans might disagree, but I, I, he was supposed to come in and be a, yeah. a real sort of whirlwind in the Premier League, right? And I don't think he's ever quite lived up to the expectations there. And so and I don't think he's getting on with yeah. Klopp because I, I was talking to a Liverpool fan the other day who said, you know, he, he was 100% certain that Cater wasn't injured. Um, and he's in the last year of his deal, mm. Liverpool aren't offering him anything else. And he can't get in the first choice midfield, even with the injuries they've got. So it's more of a sulk. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely, and 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 him not even being in the squad. I mean, it's just astonishing. To, as, as based on, uh, on what you said, you know, and that midfield they went with, and Milner's legs. You know, I mean, look, time, father, time catches up with us all. You know, and he's been uh, an absolute marvel, isn't he? If you think about his age and how long he's been playing, but his legs look like they've gone a little bit on Monday as well. I thought so. It will be interesting, I think, to see if they go and get a midfield between now and the end of the transfer window as well, because. It looks like an area of need. I agree with you. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that Klopp has come out and said no, you know, that they won't. They've just got mm. a few injuries at the moment. I mean, they get Thiago back, I suppose, that that helps. But, I mean, when you've got, you know, I I don't know uh, how much of a distant relation of Darren Anderton he is, but Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain must have the nickname six, right, surely. Um, you know, and, and uh, Curtis Jones hasn't really kicked on the way I, I think they would have they would have liked. It, it does look like, but mm. Klopp seems adamant that he's got everything he needs. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right about Oxlade-Chamberlain. I mean, you know a player's injury prone when he's linked with West Ham, and he's been linked with us a number of times, so that, that's, that's a pretty good indication that um, his fitness isn't great. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, I wonder if part of it is that Klopp does have this sort of unshakable belief in in the squad and in his own ability to galvanise them, right? And again, why not? Look at what he's done there. He's clearly a transformational, fantastic coach. Um, so I don't think you can necessarily um, look at it and say, well, you know, he's he's clearly and obviously wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just from the outside, it does look a bit strange. But um, I don't. I wonder if there's a bit of smoke and mirrors there. I have. To, I just look at it, and I think we have to be going to look and go and get someone. Surely it just, it just seems. It just seems um, so odd not to address a pretty glaring hole um, when the league is sort of galloping away from you, right? I mean, it's not just Manchester City. Arsenal look fantastic, and and Spurs look great. So you can't let it get too far away from you because. Um, it's very difficult to catch up in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's actually uh, um, interesting. So I saw somebody who was it? Oh, it was Rio Ferdinand does a uh, does a, a podcast which is videoed with uh, head and United fan Steve Housen on with it. And uh, Housen said only I, I don't know if he was fully tongue in cheek or just partially, but he said. Uh, you know, Liverpool at the moment, you look at them and maybe it's that time, you know, they've got a guy in charge who uh, who's basically just done a Claudio Ranieri. He's done what Blackburn Rovers done. You know, he's taken them as far as he can. Now they need to get a manager in who mm. can take them to the next level. Well, there's lots of stuff going around. Uh, yeah, yeah, clop out. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, I mean, 
there's a there's a similar sort of meme going around, which is that um it's the seven year itch, right? Because apparently this is his seventh year at Liverpool, and he did seven at Dortmund, and I think Mainz before that in Germany, and um, uh, you know, I I I, I think that the very best reinvent themselves, right? And and the the difficulty is always transitioning from one group of players to another. Mane's gone, uh, you know, Salah and Firmino are now of an age where actually you know, it can become difficult to physically do all the things that they used to do. And obviously Liverpool are a hugely, have at times anyway, been hugely dependent upon that physical, the pressing, the, the physicality, the running, all that kind of stuff. They brought in Darwin Nunez. He needs a little bit of time to settle, <laughs> particularly because he's got sent off um, in, in his second game. Um, you know, so there's a few different things going on. Um, I, 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 I don't think my immediate default answer would be Klopp needs to leave. <laughs> that, seems a, that, that seems a stretch. Um, I think I put a bit of faith in him to, to turn this around. Yeah, I did. I did like Darwin Nunez, given his hairstyle. Uh, was there was a, uh, a photo of him next to Andy Carroll, and he was nicknamed Angry Carroll. I saw which I, which I, which I <laughs> I did quite like. Um, what about Ten Hag then? Because Ten Hag seems to have been all about, hey, look, United, you know, we're going to play out from the back. They tried it against Brighton. They tried mm. it against Brentford. It was their undoing. Against Liverpool, um, I think tactically, you know, he went away from what he wants to do, but he, he went and did what got them a win. He looked at it and went, well, they don't have any creativity in midfield. Uh, the best mm. bit of, 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 of creating chances is winning the ball high against us. So we're just going to play it long down the channels, get in behind Alexander-Arnold, who's always out of position. Um, and yeah. Virgil van Dijk looks maybe like he's lost a half a yard of pace after that injury. And, and it seemed to work. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he kind of really counted everything that Liverpool can do and, and took away their strengths. Yeah, and I kind of admired that because I, I think there's something to be said for a manager who can kind of cut his cloth according to, to the challenges in front of him. I think the bigger issue with United really is, I mean, irrespective of whether it's Ten Hag, Pochettino, you know, it's not like they haven't gone through big-name managers in, in various years. Um, I think that the question is always, um, uh, you know, can they succeed within the structure at Manchester United? You know, who who's buying and identifying the players? If you look at their transfer targets, um, schizophrenic would be a kind way of describing how they're sort of, um, you know, ricocheting from one to another. Casemiro, I suspect, will be a really good player for them. But you know, a five-year deal for a thirty-year-old on huge money is is um, a curious piece of business, perhaps. So I think there's there's that, there's that overlaying it, right? So can he succeed within that structure? But um, I yeah, I admired the the sort of tactical elasticity, shall we say, of what they did on on Monday. Whether that's sustainable against teams who won't play like Liverpool, you know, difficult to say. And then you come back to that problem of, you know, is the midfield fixed now having Casemiro in it or not? Um, but look, I, I think he's a good manager. He's clearly a good manager. He's clearly, clearly achieved success and improved players at Ajax. I just have my doubts really whether or not Manchester United isn't broken above him. So therefore that that's what will be his biggest issue. But I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. It's been a schizophrenic um, transfer window for the United, some of the players they've been linked to. You know, I, I said that. Oh, now it's a bitch. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get over that. <laughs> yeah, well, that was one of them. And, you know, I would go, if I'm a fan of the club and they've gone, we're going to go with this guy, and he's worked with Ten Hag and he's worked with McLaren, you go, all right, he's 33, maybe he's a third choice striker. I don't fully agree with this, but that's what they're going to do. And they go and do it. 
But then for the club to go, oh, no, the fans don't like this, so we're not going to sign him anymore, makes me go, well, hang on. <laughs> if you, you, either, you either got a plan or you don't. And, you know, you've got to stick mm. to your guns if you've got a plan. That, to me, was more of a red that Not signing him rather than signing him was more of a red flag, but given it seems so knee-jerk. But uh, anyway, we should mm. uh, talk a couple of other things, Jim, before we let you go. One of those uh, is Frank Lampard. I've never been convinced of him as a, as a manager at the highest level, and I think he's really got his work cut out at Everton. Uh, if they're talking about signing Anthony Gordon, I don't know if they're going to score another goal this season. Um, you know, given that <laughs> they've got rid of Richarlison and and Calvert Lewin's obviously done his ankle in his high heels. So, um, I mean, where, where do you think they go? They are, I think, the weirdest team in the league, and I and I say that with with sort of affection for Everton. They're a great old club, right? You know, and they've been around in the Premier League for years and years. Um, but I don't really I'm I'm in, in the same boat as you. I'm not sure I immediately think Lampard is a transformational manager. I think he's um done okay but at various points also been exposed, I think, a little bit. It's both sort of tactically and in terms of his man management. Um I like a couple of the signings they've made. Um the, the Belgian lad that West Ham were linked with Onana looks like a, a I think a very good player in the middle of the park. I mean, you mentioned Anthony Gordon. I mean, isn't that often now up to 60 million? I mean, you know, now that's the same money they got for Richarlison. Now, I mean, again, we're coming back a little bit to what on earth are Chelsea doing, but they they really ought to be biting their hand off for 60 million. But then only, of course, if you can go and deploy it properly in the transfer market. And Everton's transfer dealings have been, historically, in the last few years, really all over the place. So I think they were quite a good outside bet for relegation if they don't um make you know do, do do the next couple of weeks well you know so if they sell gordon and they spend the money properly that they'll be fine because they've got the resources and they've got good players and everything else um but if they sell him and, and just go crazy with that money i really think they could be in for a long season i i i honestly think there's always one team good big team big name team that gets dragged into it west ham are always a good fit for that i'm, I'm afraid to say but uh, but I think Everton could be a good fit for that this year as well. I really do. I think they they look just very disjointed, and I don't have that much faith in Lampard. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. He's made some unusual signings. I mean, the fact that he's really trying to ship Dali Ali out when he was instrumental in bringing him in was uh, was an interesting. Oh, thing. Yeah. And the other thing too is, I, I guess how much how much of that sixty million are they going to get? Because I've been reading about Chelsea trying to sign Fafana, um, and Leicester keep saying, well, no. No, and they keep going back. Mm-hmm. But you know they've offered seventy million, but only apparently ten million of that's up front. The rest of it's dependent. So I, I wonder how good that offer is. They say sixty million, but um, how much of it Everton will get immediately? I mean, and they are a team or a club that financially are um, sort of have been redlining it and running close to being foul of the financial fair play as well. Yeah, they really do. And the, and the the other overlying thing that you have to consider with Everton is they've got this new stadium, which looks absolutely incredible. Um, Bramley Moor, it's by the Liverpool docks, looks just, you know, an unbelievable stadium. But of course, what we know about stadiums are that they're incredibly expensive. And if you look at teams who've who've moved from one stadium to another in recent years, um, where, they, where they own the stadium, so not West Ham, but if you look at, say, Arsenal, they went through a very tough period where their transfer dealings were restricted and they kind of relied a lot on, on Wenger being a bit of a wizard. Um, Spurs have sailed close to the wind financially, I think, in the last... Um, few years, they've got over a billion dollars um, USD debt on that stadium, and I haven't looked at the Everton numbers all that all that closely um, recently. But I think that's a pretty hefty spend as well that they've got. So, yeah, I, I 
I, I do agree. I, I think it's it's curious, but I, I still think I'd be snapping um, Chelsea's hand off <laughs> for sixty million for Gordon. He's a, he's a good player, but that's um, that's an insane deal. But yeah. uh, you know, that's um, one one to look at, I guess. Yeah, and I think you know, for somebody like Anthony Gordon, I know it's probably going to um, set him up for life. But you've also, if you were him, you got to look at you know, I don't know, Ross Barclay, for example, and go, is this really the right move? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, football, well, probably not just footballers, all athletes have an unshakable belief in, in their own ability, right? You know, so I think he'll probably go and say, um, you know, I back myself to get into this team and, and I back myself for, for this to be the next big move in my career. I think objectively, neutral observers would probably agree with your assessment. There's a lot of very good players. There. I mean, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've got, say, Christian Pulisic, who's also struggling to get game time there, or Kai Havertz, who doesn't play all that frequently. You know, you might, might look at those players and think, well, if they're not getting in, am I definitely going to get in? Um, but I don't think professional footballers think that way. I think they always believe they'll 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 force the issue. Plus, he's young and he'll improve. Um, but yeah, it does have a bit of a vibe, doesn't it, of 70 million to Chelsea now, back out on loan to to Villa in a, in 18 months because he's not got any game time. It's, it's a bit, it's a curious one all round, I think. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and before we let you go, uh, we talked a little bit about Chelsea, but uh, that 3-0 to Leeds seems a weird one. No Koulibaly now um, for for the next match, and the, you know, they're desperately short of defenders as well. Um, where do you think they go next? Apparently they've said, all right, Fafana's a no-go. Um, mm. Harry Maguire to Chelsea? That has been a rumour. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I saw that and I assumed that um, <clears throat> somebody had sort of taken a dart and thrown it in a, in a Panini sticker book and, and you know, <laughs> come up with Harry Maguire to Chelsea. I mean, I, I, that seems very curious to me. Um, if for no other reason than Maguire... At the age he's at, I think I'm right in saying he's 29 now, Maguire, um, just doesn't immediately seem like a player that a, a top-level side would go and buy. Um, with that being said, they gave a four- or five-year deal to, to Koulibaly, who's 31, I think, or yeah. 30. So, uh, you know, like, like we've already discussed, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason in what they're doing down there. So, yeah, look, that might be a deal. I, I think that, that, just, <laughs> that just doesn't chime for me at all. If they're going for Fafana, to then say, oh, we won't get him, we'll go for Harry Maguire. That really seems like going from one end of the shopping aisle to the other. Um, I, I think they might switch their attentions elsewhere. They've been heavily linked with um, Kunde at Sevilla. Um, so, you know, whether or not that one, I'm not sure. But, yeah, we'll we'll see. But I, I don't know how much faith I'd put in, um, in Harry Maguire going to, to Chelsea. That seems an odd one as well. All right. And finally, Jim, uh, the sack race. And we've talked about a few managers who might be in trouble. I don't think David Moyes is one of them, but I think Frank Lampard could be. Stephen Gerrard might be, given how much money Villa mm. have spent. Um, who Who is your favourite to, to to walk the plank? I think those two. I would also chuck Brendan Rodgers into the mix as well mm. at Leicester because I think there's some weird stuff happening there. If you look at their transfers, they're mostly... I think um, Have they signed anyone this year? They, I, no. I think they're predominantly outgoing, anyone. Yeah. I think they haven't signed anyone. Um, you know, Casper Schmeichel going, they've replaced him with Danny Ward, who doesn't look like he, he could catch a bus, you know. So th there's there's a real problem. There's something going on there. I think financially they might be in a real, in a real pickle. Um, so I think he would be my favourite, but I also think um, Gerard potentially, hopefully with a bit of help from West Ham on Sunday, um, <laughs> I think he could... I think he could be uh, on, a, on a tight leash as well, because as you say, actually, historically, his results are 
not great, he sort of garnered a reputation there without actually having delivered an awful lot. So I, I definitely think he could be uh, on thin ice as well. Yeah, Jim, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it, mate. And uh, if people want to follow you, where's the best, where's the place, best place to go? Uh, so go on to Twitter at, at the H list. Um, there's a link there then to the blog, all, all of that kind of stuff is archived. And then uh, knees up mother Brown is the, is the sort of the, the kind of big West Ham uh, fan website that, that, I, that I write for as well. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Really appreciate your time, Jim. Go well. Enjoy the rest of your day. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Uh, Jim Coons there talking to us out of the UK about the Premier League and uh, the transfer window as well. It is 29 away from 11. When we come back, we're going to head to South Africa. 25 away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. We head to the Republic now and catch up with our good friend Brendan Nell. How are you, sir? Always good to be here, mate. Yeah, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, looking forward to uh, the rugby championship being back this weekend. We've got the Pumas in town. You're in Adelaide, of all places. I'm not sure when the last time they hosted international rugby was, uh, which I see has confused a few people in the Republic, given it's instead of a two hour difference to New Zealand, it's two and a half hours, and that's kind of thrown everybody up. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's also an earlier game. It's an afternoon kickoff. We're not quite used to that from this side. Um, usually, I mean, yeah, the all-black games on, on our TVs would be first, and then the Aussie games would be around midday. Uh, but it's now the other way around. It's at the crack of dawn now for us. Yeah, you've got to get up bright and early, mate, bright and early. Um, you'll have to have a <laughs> castle lager on your cornflakes just so you feel at home. Um, that, <laughs> that, that squad that, that uh, Ninab has announced... Um, Poses a few questions. I mean, he he's continued to dabble. He dabbled against Wales in that second test. You could understand why, uh, and they comfortably won the series. But it, it backfired um, for them in the second test against the All Blacks, and he made some interesting decisions this time round as well. Dropping Willie Larue seems very very strange, considering you're bringing Franz Steyn and Elton Yantes on, um, who aren't exactly guys that can cover a lot of positions. I suppose so in some ways. I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I see the reasoning in it. You know, it's a bit of a fine line at the moment for, for Jacques Nino, but he's got to keep players, you know, sort of match fit in the wider squad. And, 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 and the part of the problem is there's, there's no you know, rugby going on at the moment otherwise. You know, normally this time we probably would have had Curry Cup going on. Uh, we don't have that at the moment. The URC only starts in September. So he, he has very few options in giving guys chances. And I think... Yeah, they've gone away from the 6-2 split. I don't think they've, they've been away with the bomb squad. It could just be something tactical that they've seen in Australia that we don't. Uh, but, yeah, I think you know, both France Spain, he lost, played in May, and Elton played in that first game against Wales. They, they haven't had a lot of game times, and there are some question marks about them. So it is a bit of a gamble. Um, yeah, Willie, Willie's been uh, yeah, rock solid for the box so far. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um you hope it's a gamble that's going to pay off, but it's obviously something they see in the test and the tactics that we don't. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that surprises me the most is, you know, Willie LaRue you can put anywhere in a back line pretty much outside of, outside of 10. You know, you can play midfield, wing or fullback. But, you know, I could be wrong here, but Elton Yantes, I've only ever seen play 10, and Franz Steyn is a 10 who can play 15, um, and that's about it. So, I mean, what happens if they do, you know, get an injury to Gallant or Pimpy or someone? Well, I think we saw that against the All Blacks. I mean, the Kanye Am moved to wing there. He he was pretty decent. You know, I mean, he's just a, he's an exceptional player, so I think he can play anywhere. Damien Willemser can play, basically play anywhere in the back line. Uh, he's 10, 12, 15. Warwick Salant is a 15, 14, 13. 
So I suppose they, they feel they've got enough versatility there. Although, you know, to me, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, it's one thing having versatility. I don't think it's always a good thing you know, to, to, to sort of you know, exploit it so much. There are times, as we saw with the, with the uh, bomb squad, that it does backfire on you a bit. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's something that we've learned here in New Zealand the hard way a few times, you know, trying to trying to shoehorn players into into positions that aren't really their positions, and then they end up, despite being very good 15s, for example, um, messing something up at centre, you know. Just ask John Mitchell and, and, and Christian Cullen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's something you've got to be careful of, doing too much, I would have thought. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, yeah, I, they're in a bit of a difficult, difficult position. I think we've spoken about it before on how they have to try and also blood a bunch of players. They lost a year to COVID. Uh, you know, they're obviously thinking a bit of a wider thing. They're playing England at the end of the year without their foreign-based players, which is you know, a huge chunk of that squad. Um, and, it, and it means that they have to have guys to go to Twickenham. You know, they are a bit more battle-hardened. And in the moment... Yeah, just sticking to the same side, it's not going to really help that because uh, there's a bunch of their players who play in Europe and in Japan that won't be around. And so, you know, a guy like Franz Stein will be coming to play there. Um, and there, there's a bunch of others that will as well. At Hooker, that's one of the reasons why Joseph Weber has been included as well because Malcolm Marks probably won't be at the end of the year tour either, that last game against England. So you can see what they're trying to do. I just think you know, at times it's very difficult to do it in a, in a season where there's so much at stake. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's the other thing, of course. And, and your record in Australia uh, isn't great. What is it, 41 tests for 12 wins in Australia? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I've, I've been on a bunch of those tours to Australia with, with the box. And, you know, and, and in a bunch of the times I've been there as well, they've been the better side of the day and have somehow conspired to lose test matches. I think their record against New Zealand in New Zealand in the last sort of 20 years is probably better than their record in Australia. And that's and that's perplexing for us because, you know, there's so many games that they dominate, but, you know, Australia finds a way of, of, of coming back and winning games. And, and you know, they, they seem to negate our scrum and our, our maul, and a lot of the times, you know, we feel the refs are probably part of that, allowing them to get away with things. But, you know, they've played very clever against us, but it's not a great look. I mean, Dave Rennie's got a 40% win record, but he's two out of two against the Springboks. And, yeah, that's something that needs to change. And I think I'm hoping that it's going to happen this weekend. Uh, Australia, to me, aren't at a, at a high in their, their play at the moment. They are vulnerable. And, you know, a good team should be able to put them away no matter where they play. Yeah, well, I mean, they got touched up big time by the Pumas in that second test, didn't they? I mean, what did you see in there that you think the Springboks can take advantage of? Well, I mean, like everything, I think, you know, as we saw with the All Blacks from the first to the second test, they'll have worked on all all the things. <laughs> so it's not always that that's going to come back. And I think the box at times have been surprised by last year. They, the number of the players said afterwards they thought the Australians would run at them and they used the kicking game to good effect. So you know, the, the, the Wallabies weren't good in the air in the, in the, in the second test against Argentina. That's something that's a Springbok you know, strong point. Uh, yeah, and if, if they can exploit that, I think that's the one thing. I think the other thing as well is just, you know, just to be better at the things that you, you're good at. Um, you know, the box, everyone knows how the box play. They, they, they're good at the set pieces, they're good at the malls. Yeah, but they haven't been that great this year in the six tests they played. So they're sharpen up in those areas. You get that going and you get dominance there, then there's, there's going to be a few teams that can live with you. It's 12 away from 11 here on Extra Time and some news uh, that's come out of uh, South African rugby. 
uh, or South African rugby publication called Rugby Mag. Uh, they're quoting a French publication called Rugby Rama, but Tawira Kuibalo, the former All Black uh, halfback, he's playing at La Rochelle. He's been up there since, I think, 2019. Um, has said to them that he's willing to play for the Wallabies and switch allegiance. Now, he was born in Melbourne, so he has that on his side. You have to have given up playing Test Rugby for your uh, for your First Nation uh, for three years, and you can only switch once. But he's been there since 2019, so three years is up, and he would be eligible now. He could use the same law that Charles Piertau and... Israel Folau have used to switch uh, to play for Tonga. So uh, watch the space. But Tawera Kubala, this is exactly what he said. Um, Unlike New Zealand, Australia have a rule allowing players who are overseas to still be eligible for selection. I'm available to play for the Wallabies. I was born there. I have a lot of ties in this country, and if the coaching staff calls me, I will go without hesitation. It would be a great opportunity, but for the moment I am focused on La Rochelle. So there you go. Could Tawera Kerbalo end up suiting up for the Wallabies? What do you think? Let us know. Double eight double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine. We're 10 away from 11. It's coming up five away from 11 o'clock here on Extra Time on SCNZ. Just about done for the night, but a uh, special mention uh, has to go to our uh, Buck Shelford Award winner uh, for this week out of the North Queensland Cowboys, uh, Tom Dearden, uh, their uh, standoff. He's going to miss the game against the Rabbitohs this weekend after he went un- underwent surgery to repair a ruptured testicle that he suffered against the Warriors. He's going to be replaced by Scott Drinkwater. But how's this? Todd Payton, the coach, said he's a tough little bugger. He didn't even report anything post-game. The first we found out was the next day at recovery. So we sent him for scans, and he's had surgery since, and fingers crossed it's only going to be short-term. They're hoping he's going to be back in time for the playoffs. So good luck to Tom Dearden. Uh, tell you what... Good luck to the Warriors as well because uh, the Panthers have not only got Jerome Luai back for this weekend, also James Fisher-Harris is back off suspension. It's potentially going to get ugly. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Don't forget to tune into Smithy tomorrow. David Kidwell, first man to coach against the All Blacks and for the Kiwis.